Cash up. <laughs> you read it, Benton. Read cash up in your sexy voice. <clears throat> this is my sex operator voice. It's the cash app. This show is brought to you by the cash app. It's the number one finance. You sound like you're pooping. <laughs> In the app store. <laughs> cash app is the simplest way to send and receive money, especially whenever your friends owe you money or when you owe your friends. When you owe your friends an apology for that voice. How Thank do you, you use cash app? Well, I used the other day to pay Literally my friend. Literally to pay sex operators. <laughs> to get very familiar yeah, with Yeah, I send them. Uh, I used the other day to pay my friend for all the martinis she bought me. <laughs> I love a good teeny, extra dirty, three olives. <laughs> Is that your dream? And I clap voice? for them. Teenies. <laughs> so you're a Samantha. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would think you're like I a mean, I'm definitely guy. not. I'm definitely a Miranda. But <laughs> <laughs> With like a Carrie Rising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cash My out. third moon. It's the easiest way to try and grow your money in the stock market with their investing feature. With Cash App, you can instantly invest in any stock as little as $1. You know this. Did you know brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC? Well, now you do, as always, when you sign up for Cash App and use the promo code Whitney. Not only will you instantly receive $10, but Cash App will also donate $10 to the Trevor Project, an amazing organization that provides protective services to Benton <laughs> across America. All of me. <laughs> All of me. Don't forget to use <laughs> Gross. Don't forget the promo code when, ah, yeah. when you download the cash app from the app store today. I like that one. That's the one I like. Please stay away. That's flirting with the coyotes. <laughs> You at all times. So let's just get this out of the way. We have some tour dates uh, to let you guys know about. You might already know about them, but two weeks. I mean, we're coming in a week, two weeks. I don't yeah, know. I'm not 13th. good with them. Um, March 13th, Royal Oak Music Theater in Royal Oak, Michigan, right outside Detroit. Uh, March 14th, coming to Houston, Texas, House of Blues, Houston. Let's do it. Uh, I love Houston. Me too. Best crowds. So fun. And then Chicago. Chicago. Maybe that's why we haven't sold the second show out. Because <laughs> you keep saying Chicago. No one knows what I'm saying. I'm like, where the hell is she going? <laughs> Chicago, Illinois. Vic Theater. Vic Theater. Vic Theater. Have a night nice at the theater, darling. Um, there's much more tour dates. A bunch of more. I couldn't decide whether I say one to say a lot there's more. There's many, much more. Many, much more. <laughs> uh, Indianapolis, March 28th. Sacramento, Crest Theater, April 10th. April 11th, Ballet de Finart Theater. San Francisco. Uh -huh. Then Dallas, Texas, House of Blues. You know what to do. You know how websites work. You know how to find me. Don't WhitneyCummings.com. Dot edu dot org <laughs> dot edu that would be you dot edu you, you know what I <laughs> college of one <laughs> you know what I do remember happening I remember like three or four years ago everybody getting really stressed out about buying the domains dot xxx because there was going to be a new porn like the domain they were introducing a new domain i was like you gotta get your dot xxx so there's not a whitney cummings dot xxx porn site and we were all like scrambling to get our dot xxx i wonder if anything ever came Remember of that whenever, uh they dropped the m on com it was dot co for a long time is that still a thing i think that's in uh europe oh i just remember there being super bowl commercials about it they going like dot co yeah do you know what dot com means community <laughs> Anyone know what dot com means? Communication. No. Commerce. <laughs> I thought it meant computer. 
but dot com means commerce. Google dot computer. <laughs> it means commerce. Yes, I knew it. You got it. I went to college. You got it. Um, okay, so I get kind of tripped up on what to talk about on the podcast. I get overwhelmed. Don't you think? Yeah, I get, get, not overwhelmed. You just have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of ideas. And the podcast can't be five hours. It can't be five hours. So I'll pick a topic. We'll spend a lot of time on it, and then the next day I'm like, scratch that topic. I have a new topic. And Benton's like, I just like did research on arsenic for the past two weeks. <laughs> Benton has been researching arsenic and rice obsessively for the past couple days. There's no answer. <laughs> it's very stressful. This is why ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay, well, we'll get to this later, but there is arsenic in rice, but it's because there's arsenic in water. So Benton so came it's in everything. Benton was like, because I was like, let's talk about how arsenic is in rice. Like, I would like to learn more about that. And he just came over one day, like, sweating. And he was like, it's in everything. It's in our water. It's everywhere. <laughs> That's what he said. It's in all foods. What? And then the next day he comes in, he's like, okay, great news. It's impossible to eat the <laughs> amount of rice that would cause arsenic poisoning. <laughs> So we're good. None of this information even matters. Yeah. So scratch that. And then he was like, you can actually wash the arsenic off rice, but the water has arsenic in it. So you're just washing arsenic with arsenic. You just have a bowl of arsenic (laughs) afterwards. How does that make any sense? So I, if something isn't getting interesting enough or memorable enough or useful enough or good for you enough, we end up scratching it. But I thought maybe a good way to do some research on what people want to hear about or what they want to learn about would be to go to Google. This is one of my favorite things to do, is to go to Google and type in the beginning of a question and seeing what auto fills in, because that's what the most commonly yeah. Googled questions are. So I'll just do the first couple words and see what auto fills in to see what like people are asking Google, because they're too embarrassed to ask their friends or whatever, right? So the first one I Googled was, why do I, to see what was the most That's deep. <laughs> was the most Google question starting with why do I? Here they were. Why do I feel dizzy? Why do I have a headache? That was probably me actually. <laughs> Googling that 50 times a day. Why do I keep burping? <laughs> why do I pee so much? Oh. And why do I need a real ID? <laughs> Need a real ID? Oh, that's my favorite one. <laughs> Me too. Because it's so off the cut. Everybody else is like, "Am I sick?" And that person's like, "Can I get drunk anyway?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that one, I was like, "Okay, didn't really get much out of that, but it was interesting." The next one, this always gets interesting. Why do women? Because this is probably <laughs> men asking about stuff, yeah. and I'm like, "Okay, maybe this is an opportunity to talk about some topics." Here, the the number uh, most commonly googled "Why do women?" questions. Why do women have periods? Why do women get cramps? Why do women get UTIs? <laughs> then the fourth one, why do women get periods again but misspelled? <laughs> oh, God, they spell it. P E R I D S. <laughs> oh, so not like periods. Yeah, periods. Why do women wear bras? Which I, I envisioned that as being so petulant. Why do women have to wear bras? Ugh. Like instead of tr- instead of truly wanting to know why. Why do women wear thongs? Why is that confusing? It's because you don't want to see a panty line. That's why, <laughs> dickhead. And then, oh, why do women douche? This really upset me because no one should be douching. I, I, this well, is, uh, no. Don't tell the gay community. I mean, <laughs> no one should. It messes with your bacteria. It messes with a very delicate 
uh, ecosystem. Ecosystem. <laughs> It's a it's a moss pit, and you got to keep it's it. It's a kaleidoscope of bacteria <laughs> yeah. that you need to leave as is. Kaleidoscope makes it sound really gorgeous. I like that. A kaleidoscope, yeah, yeah it's that's a beautiful. Kaleidoscope of flora and fauna in there <laughs> yeah. that you do not want Angelic to ferns. disrupt. <laughs> okay, so this is where it gets interesting, and where I do think we have to answer some of these. Why do men? This is the why do men questions. Why do men go bald? Number one. <laughs> Well, yeah. Men out there trying to figure it out. I think that's the thing that stresses men out the most about their appearance, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I think it absolutely has to be. Because, I mean, well, because you're just infantilized with, like, everybody you see who's, like, a good-looking guy on TV. They have, like, a full head of hair. Mm-hmm. And, like, they all look the same. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, like, look at this. I mean, it's very recent that we're seeing, like... Jason Statham. Yeah, you're seeing, and, yeah. Like, bald-headed, like... Sex Dude. symbols, yeah. yeah. But you made a really interesting point about how a lot of guys think they're going bald before yes. they're actually going bald. Or second puberty because because of their hairline shape. Yeah. So you can you can look this up. It's super simple. Just Google mature hairline for men, and it will come up right away that like men, when you're younger, you have a little square hairline, mm-hmm. and then as you get older, it just deepens a little bit. The That's corners, the, the ninety corners. degree. So it looks more square. So it's not the same thing as going. As having a receding hairline. That's it's interesting. It's a mature hairline. Like John Hamm has one. And everybody, you know, John Hamm, people like love John Hamm. Yeah. You know, he has a face like a saddle. That's what everybody says. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. Because I, I only I said it. But that um, is but so funny. He has a good example Ride of, it, of a of, my of a saddle. Waiting. Come in. Took a turn. Took a jump turn. on it. Let's do it. <laughs> the whole song. Ride it. <laughs> but my phone. <laughs> gonna cut that. Um, but that's Set off. a mature hairline. So don't panic. Everyone goes like right because some men just have a more feminine hairline, which is more round. Yes. And so men see, and they're usually actors. And so men see Oh, that's that. all people see, of and course. And so they're like, well, I'm going bald, but you just have a mature hair. It's like seeing women that don't have cellulite. They don't exist. They're everyone, yeah. no matter how thin you are, you have cellulite, you know, but we just in movies and TV, they never... Yeah, and typically, if you're attracted to a dude, they usually have a square hairline. It's just something that's like in your brain. It's just it it's looks like more a, masculine. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So sometimes guys panic that they're going bald just because the corners on their forehead are deepening but that's not yeah. necessarily bald and usually they're i mean they're it's you can't even really tell you just now have to decide you just notice that all of a sudden yeah and that the stressing out about balding yeah. is probably making and you go bald. Go bald yeah and then there just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy um it feels like there's lots of things to get ahead of baldness yeah you can days. take supplements yeah there's tons of like um I mean, they don't sponsor us. We won't say their names, but yeah. like, there's tons of different <laughs> supplements you can take for just Google hair loss supplements, and they work. Is there a way to unsend an email? <laughs> 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 These are people that were real panicked. Is there a way to unsend an email? <laughs> like, oh gosh, I've been there. Benton knows. Yeah, <laughs> I once sent a screen grab about someone to them. <laughs> Spent four hours sprinting around the house trying to figure out a way if there was there was a way to unsend a text, and for some reason there's not. Well, four hours seems a little less insane than what it actually was, which was probably a good eight and a half. <laughs> I was. You were in the car, still I, talking about. I it. was in the car stressing because I sent a text to somebody that I did not about them to them, and it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. It wasn't great. It was bad. And the first thing I did was, as I saw the bar sending, I pressed airplane mode. 
Like I just went straight to airplane mode and then I sprinted out the door to the part of my house that has zero cell reception, just hoping it wouldn't go through. And then I turned my phone off and I threw it. Because <laughs> that would help. I threw it up on this hill where I knew there was no cell phone reception. And then I called someone that knows a lot about technology and I was like, is there a way to unsend a text? And there's not. <laughs> he was like, are you okay? I mean, no, he was, He knew right away. He's like, uh, I, I know exactly what you did. I think everyone's been through this on some level and he knows me. But we don't have good service here. Thank God. And Holly favor. That's what Benton Blast said. We've been trying to get better cell phone reception at my house and then Benton's like, see? Could you imagine if that went through as an iMessage? <laughs> Instant. Instant. Horrible. It was harrowing. <laughs> it, was it was harrowing. It was very stressful. Um, okay, so is there a way to unsend an email? We're going to tell you no, but there is a way to unsend an Instagram DM. Yes. Which is why I now only do all my business communications on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't, don't text me. But the fact that you can unsend a message on Instagram, that is honestly... I'm I'm back. Thank you, Zuckerberg. I'm now a fan of yours again. <laughs> it does alert people when you do You're it. You're a good person. Oh, really? Yeah. It, that's fine. Yeah. I'll just go, oh, it's an accident. I meant to send something I out. misspelled something. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm that's me all the time. I misspelled it. Uh, um, and then the rest of them were kind of boring. Is there a cure for Ebola? Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> people are on the wrong epidemic. It's now coronavirus. People are still trying to figure out Ebola. Honey, catch up. Anyway, so this is what I started doing. Uh, I got some uh, very interesting um, ideas off of doing that. So now I'm, I'm, I'm in. Good yeah, for I you. I have lots of plans. I have lots of plans. Um, so we have a very exciting show today. So I want to keep moving because Jim Norton is here. Yes. And Lady J, one of my best friends on the planet, is here. And we're going to talk about uh, transgender issues. Yeah, transgender issues. Look people. at us. Look at us. We're topical. We're in depth. We're good for you. Um, Jim Norton is one of my heroes, is a comedian. Uh, you guys know him from Opie and Anthony, uh, one of the greatest comedians to ever do it. And he openly dates trans women, talks about yeah. it in his specials. And uh, Lady J is the first openly transgender writer uh, that w she was on Transparent, mm -hmm. is now on Pose, yep. director, producer, brilliant. And great, great musician. Brilliant musician. Yeah. Sings Dolly Parton songs yeah. with a gospel twist. I mean, you would just lose your goddamn mind. Yeah, she does so much. And she's one of my oldest friends. And she, I wanted to have her come on and I wasn't sure how. And I kind of wanted to do like, like the Iran episode, basically to be yeah. like, let me ask you a bunch of questions that I think most people would be too afraid to ask. Uh, maybe people don't have friends that are trans or might not understand or might... Uh, don't want to look stupid. And I was like, let's just do that episode at some point. And then Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade had a daughter that came out. And I was like, oh, what if we do an episode where we just talk about all this and Jim Norton just happened to be in town. So it kind of just came together serendipitously. Yeah, we're being Google.computer for all of you. <laughs> so they're here. Um, but there's a couple more things that we need to talk about because I'm um, uh, nothing if not going to be consistent on this podcast. So wisdom of the pod. What's the, we still don't have a sound effect for that. <laughs> wisdom of the pod. Bop, bop, bop. Our wisdom of the pod. Here it is. Get ready. Get your journal. Get your pen. Get your paper. Everyone needs to write this down on a post-it note and put it on their mirror and recite it every morning. Ready? It's now a cult. <laughs> Are, you, <laughs> it is. Are you ready, Benton? Yes. In every relationship, you never do the three M's. Mothering. Micromanaging, Micromanaging and mayonnaise. 
No. Misconnections. No. Mothering, micromanaging. Maternity leave. <laughs> Benton, we've been talking about this for a week, and he still could not remember the third F. Mes- Mesopotamia. <laughs> Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Mothering, micromanaging. Mar- martyring. It's martyring. It's martyring. In your relationships, you should not be doing any mothering, any micromanaging, or any martyring, especially if it involves mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah, especially if there's mayonnaise involved. So this is, you know, I think a lot of you are probably going, that makes no sense. And a lot of you are going, oh, I know exactly what that is. Because maybe you've been mothered, micromanaged, yeah. or martyred on, or you're the mothering, micromanaging, martyr type person. So I've been on both sides. Uh, being in recovery uh, for codependence, I used to do all these things. <laughs> so I say all of this uh, with love in my heart as someone that used to do it, not judging anybody, but telling you, um, mothering someone you're in a relationship with is... Super fun. Gross! <laughs> Don't! It's disgusting. If you're someone's actual mother... <laughs> yeah, then you should probably you do can, that. You should Go probably ahead. do that, because I think that's the, the law. But you should not be treating your husband, your coworker, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, as if it's your child. You know these people that are like, what, did you, go, did you get enough sleep last night? Did you eat something? I need to get you some water. Stop it. It's not your kid, okay? Stop mothering adults. It's weird. And a lot of us get it honestly because maybe we had to be adults when we were children. I was like that. I had to cook dinner. I had to clean the house. I had to get myself to school. I had to make my own lunch. I had to take care of other people. You know, a lot of us had to take care of our, you know, grandparents or we had to babysit our little sisters and little brothers. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of us had to be precocious at a young age. Like you, I'm sure you had to build well, tractors see, this, when you were like three. Yeah. <laughs> that was more to teach me, like, I guess, work ethic because like I didn't have to take care like, my parents were great. I didn't have to take care of them. I didn't have to like my grandfather had it all together. Like, they were fine. So when we first had this conversation, I was kind of confused on what the difference in, like, mothering was versus, uh-huh. like, just being helpful. Yeah. So and you you kind of explained to me it's, it's the intention behind it. It's the motives. So you can be nice to people, but what's your motive? Because a lot of times when we're mothering people, we're really just trying to control them or we're really just the subtext is judgy. It's... I don't think you're capable of taking care of yourself, so I'm going to take care of you. And it ends up being self-serving. You're doing it to try to get some kind of power over them, some kind of credit, or some kind of attention, or to manipulate them. So if you're checking up on someone, asking, hey, did you get sleep last night? How much How much sleep did you get last night? What time are you going to bed? Do you really care? Or are you trying to make sure they're not cheating on you or trying to make sure that they're not doing something that you don't approve of. Yeah. You know, so sometimes when we're mothering people, we're really just trying to control them, check up on them, uh, control, because we have some kind of fear of abandonment with them and we're trying to make sure they're trying to figure out where they are essentially or make sure that they're not getting their needs met from anyone else because we want to, you know, because we're possessive of them or it's just, you know, self-serving in a way that, you know, a lot of codependents, we don't want to focus on ourselves. We want to sort of preoccupy ourselves with other people's problems. It makes us feel useful. It, it's like being pathologically thoughtful is what we call it. Oh. You know, hey, are you hungry? Did you eat dinner? Do you need a snack? Do you need this? It's just a way of not having to think about myself and my own stuff. And I end up just kind of mothering someone else and infantilizing them so that I can feel useful. We want to be... To take the focus off of your... Yes. See, you and to this- get some kind of 
it's like a God complex and to get some kind of superiority over you because helping is never really helping if the motives aren't clean. I can be of service to you. If your car's broken down and you need me to drive you to the airport, I can drive you to the airport as long as I don't have some kind of strings attached or I'm not keeping some kind of scorecard. So usually you know the motive a couple weeks later. So if then I say, oh, Benton, I, can you drive me to the airport? And you go, I can't, I'm busy. And I go, I drove you to the airport two weeks ago. Yeah. Or we're keeping score, which means it's not a pure form of service. Yeah. We expected something in return. So this is why so many codependents and so many, quote, nice people are actually full of rage <laughs> because codependence breeds resentment. We all have those people in our lives that have done something nice for us, quote unquote, and then two weeks later, oh, I bought you that candle and you're not even going to come to my baby shower? And you're like, oh, I thought you were just giving me a candle. I didn't realize. Do you want it back? I know. I, <laughs> I didn't realize that you were keeping score about my behavior. So that's when nice isn't nice. You yeah. know, we say in program, hel helping is the sunny side of control. It's really mm. we're helping you so that you owe us, so that you like us, so you don't abandon us, and so that you treat us a certain way down the line. See, I think it's good to explain this because for someone like me who who I've never I don't I've never done these things. I don't I'm not codependent. So I've like, never been nice to anyone. Yeah, I'm, I don't, <laughs> no need. Uh, I don't get invited to baby showers. So uh, <laughs> I've never had to like done it with this intention. So sometimes I get confused. And I'm like that just sounds like you're being a nice, a good person. Yes, and then you explaining it to me was like, oh, I see the difference now. It's but for so a minute, for a long time you'd be talking about it. And I'd be like, I don't. This just sounds like you're nice. It's confusing. <laughs> it's very confusing, and it took me a very. And this is why codependence is so insidious. You know because. You know, the same, the alcohol, you know, drinking, gambling, eating stuff, you can see it. You know, you can see, oh, someone just had nine shots of vodka on a Tuesday and didn't show up for work. It's very clear. Okay, hurt. <laughs> Living your best life. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> so that's very easy to see what's going on with that person. Whereas codependence, our rock bottoms can be just being too nice to people. Ostensibly, we just seem like angels. Like when I first went into Al-Anon, I, I didn't have any problems. I went in because other people, other people's behavior, other people were drinking and whatever, using drugs and cheating. And, you know, I come from, you know, family dysfunction, you know, everyone does. And I went in and I was like, well, I'm just an angel. Like I give gifts to people and I, you know, throw people, I'm always the first person to throw the baby shower. I'm always the first person to volunteer to, um, you know, organize the work thing. I'm also, I was the first person to say like, let's all go for a week. I do girls nights at my house where I cook for everyone. You know, we come off as these, and we'll get into it when we get into the third one, martyring, but we come off sometimes as the best people on the planet, but our motives can often come from a place of insecurity. Like, you know those people who are so nice, come off so nice, but you feel like there's something, there's a string attached here. Yeah. If you're offering something to me, and I don't feel like I can say no. This doesn't feel like real kindness. Like the people, like, like the friends you get the phone calls from and your stomach drops, you're like, I don't answer the phone. Like that's what I get Yeah. The people that you're just like, you're like I, I know this. The is people that are like, I really want to come by and see There's you. There's going to be something I want to bring this. you some food. And yeah. it doesn't feel like kindness. It feels like pressure. Yeah. It feels like they need something from you. You know, you can feel it when someone's like, I just want to come over and bring you something. I just, I know you're sick. I want to come bring you chicken soup. That sounds so ostensibly nice, but you're like, I know that I'm going to have to sit there with yeah. this person for six hours and if they find out I have another friend they're gonna get jealous that's exactly yeah that's okay yeah yeah so mothering you it's don't just need annoying it's, you know, it's also annoying <laughs> stop doing it helping isn't always helping and I think that smart people who you know obviously you know the people that listen to this podcast they you know the difference between help that's patronizing and has strings attached 
and service. And also just like you're an adult. We don't need to do with others what they can do for themselves. So if you find yourself mothering other adults, what's going on with you? And don't do it to the people in your relationship with. It's not sexy. It's not sustainable. I made this mistake where you're in a relationship with someone because a lot of codependents, we want to rescue people. We want people that are messes so we can like fix them and mother them and nurse them back to health. And if you find yourself buying vitamins for your boyfriend and you know, <laughs> I'm doing a weird thing with my hand and that does making fun of me. If you, uh, do you need some water? You really need to eat more vegetables. And why aren't you taking the, you know, these vitamins and you really need to get more sleep. That's not sexy. No. Mama says you need these baths. Yuck. It's incest. Your relationship turns into incest. You're infantilizing the other person. Don't force them to go to the doctor. Don't force them to go to the gym. If they don't do that on their own, even if they're doing it just because you're making them, that's going to end up being a codependence breeds resentment situation. Next, second M. What is it, Benton? Micromanaging. Don't do it. This is something I'm really great at, at detaching from micromanaging. You really are. Like, don't micromanage people. If you want to do something for me, go for it. <laughs> but here's what I'll say. Micromanaging is another form of mothering, but this is more, usually more in like a work environment, you know? It's more aggressive, I would say. Micromanaging, the key, you know someone's micromanaging you, well, not only when you feel like you're just, you know, having someone like bite at your heels. It feels like having a little, like, <laughs> yeah. but it's usually micromanagers go, but I'm just helping, but I'm just trying to help. No, you're not. You're my, this isn't help. It's, it's the thing is about micromanaging, which I think a lot of people, especially in businesses, you know, I'm not talking about like your mom in the kitchen, micromanaging. That's just a mom, you yeah, know, that's mothering. We just that's mothering. That. Yeah. <laughs> but Go I mean, when someone's point. like, don't do that, that's too much pepper. You need a little more sauce in that. Like, that's just a mom. That's just a, you know, cooks, none of this. Yes, chef. Yeah, <laughs> someone who's a good cook, just get out of the fucking kitchen because they're going to micromanage you. And that's why they're such a good, just enjoy the food. <laughs> um, but in a work situation, if you're micromanaging people, I think bosses don't understand what you're doing is you're saying two things. Number one, I don't think you're capable of doing this on your own. And what that's really saying is, I'm bad at hiring people. No, let's switch positions. <laughs> yeah, let I'll me... do the job and you be the boss. <laughs> I'll... That's what bad bosses do. They yeah. go, I'm going to do everyone else's job. It's like, well, then you just became my employee. You're working for me now. Yeah, I, that, I always lean into that. I'm like, all right, here we go. I like to, if, if, if I come in contact with someone who is micromanaging, I, I'm just like, yeah, how do you do this? Like, yeah, how do you, I mean, let them have their moment. That's about them. Give it to them. See, you are so smart about that because you realize that it has nothing to do with you. This mm -hmm. is obviously someone has a control addiction or like a God complex and they just need to do everything on their own. And you're not going to win either way because if yeah. you do it, they're going to say you did it wrong. Mm -hmm. And then if they do it, they're going to go, oh, I have to do everything around here. So you just remove yourself. Yeah, because I, I'm sure I have things that I do that people would be like, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing this thing? Like you have rituals yeah. that other people would find weird. And it's just like, that's not about me. Like, yeah, like I when just, you watch your, I, like I FaceTimed Benton last night. <laughs> and we're, we're face, we were FaceTiming. And I was like, turn the phone around. I want to see what you're watching. And he wouldn't do it. And he was like being really reluctant. I was like, turn the phone around. I want to see what you're watching. He was watching. He was watching two women deep throat crab legs. First of all, one of them was a man. <laughs> uh, I don't see gender. It was a drag queen. I don't see gender. I'm evolved. <laughs> and they were having a mukbang <laughs> eating crawfish boil. It was very, very, it had 8 million views. So I was the only one watching it. And I was having a great time. It was so bizarre. Here's the thing about people that micromanage we have to remember. A lot of people, I don't think we're these people, but there are a lot of people out there 
who thrive on being victims. They thrive on being... they do. It's like they want to be disappointed. There are people that want to go home and go, oh, I had to do everything today. I had to do Benton's job. I had to do Whitney's job. I had to repack all of the inventory. I had to clean everything. I had to close up. I had to... But you didn't have to. She didn't have to, or he didn't have to, but there's recreating some childhood circumstance or some narrative or some adrenaline addiction where they secretly want to have done everything so they can get some attention when they get home and be the victim. There are some people that sort of thrive on that drama of being disappointed and they want to be the hero. They want to be the person that saved the day. And for, we, we've all worked with that person. Yeah, 100%. But with those, like with that person, if you're the person doing that, you have to look inward to figure out how to fix your micromanaging. But if you're the person receiving micromanaging, Ugh. it you can start to feel like, oh, you don't think I'm good at anything. Oh, you don't think I'm doing my job. Oh, you don't think. And if you just be, if you just detach yourself from, you know what, I know that I'm doing whatever I can do. This has nothing to do with me. You'll feel so much better. I'm a rock and a river. Yeah, yeah be as a rock Benton's and a river. mom says, I'm you, a rock and a river. You will feel so much better because it has it, literally it has nothing to do with you. But how how do you know that? It took me ten years in a program to figure that out. It has nothing to do because I know because I feel one, attacked. I can't change it when someone tries to micromanage me. I feel I feel uh, criticized. I feel like they're saying you can't figure this out on your own. You're stupid. I feel like people are telling me I'm stupid. Yeah, I mean, I could totally see that, but I know that I'm not stupid. I know that I'm not stupid, and I'm also there. I'm with you, and I know you're not giving me the chance to try to do it. And I also don't – I also – micromanaging is just such a bad thing to do to people, to leaderships, to kids. I mean, I'm not a mom, so I don't know the difference between a good mom and micromanaging. But you have to let people figure things out on their own. Like, you have to let people – even if they're going to fall, even if they're going to fuck up, like, you have to let them see it for themselves because I'm not going to take your word for it. So if someone's like, oh, that's never going to work that way, I'm like, well, let me – hit that dead end and figure it out myself because you're taking away my pride. And when you do that, I've micromanaged people. I've done it because I thought it was the fastest way. And I also confused, I think when I first became a boss, I was like, people want women, you know, especially to be like direct and clear and upfront and you can't be vague and you can't be wishy-washy. And I realized like, no, you're actually just being micromanaging and you demoralize people and they don't want, and, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're not invested and then they stop doing their jobs well because they know you're just going to undo it anyway. Right. So then you have a bunch of people that are demoralized and aren't passionate about being there and they're not going to go the extra mile for you because they know that none of their work's going to matter. Exactly. That's exactly right. And to answer your question, the way that you kind of, the way that I kind of figured that out, it was like, I'm in the moment with you. Like if someone's micromanaging, I'm there too. I'm also in the same place you're in. So I see what's going on. I know that I'm trying my yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not letting me. Yeah. So, because there's been times whenever someone's told me to do something and I'm like, okay, I could have done that better. I was not doing my best at that. Yeah. And that doesn't feel the same way. Yeah. So it just takes, I think, being really aware of what's going on. And don't do it in your relationships either. Don't micromanage people. Stop trying to fix people in your personal relationships. Why are you wearing that? We're going to this bridal shower. Don't wear that to this. Don't wear this to that. Why are you wearing that bracelet? Why are you wearing that hat? Leave them. them, Oh, go ahead. Leave them alone. I think there's a difference between being in a relationship with somebody and going like, "Mm, do you really have to wear a t-shirt to this wedding? Like, you can do it. But if you find yourself constantly nitpicking and micromanaging your partner... It will, I promise you, that will go south. That was a big plot in your movie, The Female <gasps> Yes, it was! Oh my God, I love you! It was. I know the instinct to do it, but you have got to let your person be who they are. 
You are telling them you're not enough for me. That is the subtext and it's going to eat away at them. And it's a, you're basically just going, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. I don't like your choices. You're not good enough for me. And it's obnoxious. And I think most guys won't fight it. They'll just go, oh, it's easier to just change my shirt. But over time, it will corrode the relationship. You cannot, I mean, I learned this the hard way. This is my personal philosophy. Do not roast, make fun of, or uh, your man, and do not be their stylist. You can give them stuff. You can give them stuff. I'm a big fan of, you know, can I pop a couple zits? Can I pluck that eyebrow? You know, you have to ask and... But I do find that micromanaging your man or your woman is or not sustainable. Or just let him go outside looking a fool. And then somebody else will tell him. And you'll be like, you know what? This is what you want. You had to learn on You know your what? Own. Stop making him look so handsome. Don't don't make other women, you know, <laughs> attracted to him. What are you doing? It always backfires. <laughs> I used to do that. I used to style my boyfriends. And they go out. And then girls would check them out. And I'd be like, ah, that backfired. I should have let you stay in your Tommy Bahama croc shorts get up. Wouldn't they, though? Or would they go out and people would be like, is he a zoologist? <laughs> Well, that's my soulmate. Does he work in the jungle? <laughs> okay, we have to get moving because Jim Norton and Lady J are here. Okay, what's the last one again? Martyring, which is my favorite because it's very theatrical. And <laughs> so martyring is kind of confusing. When you're martyring yourself in a relationship, it means you are doing things you absolutely do not need to do and making sacrifices that nobody needs you to make just so that you can get like the credit and feel the god complex and adrenaline rush of like rescuing someone that really doesn't need to be rescued in the first place if someone needs your actual help needs cpr go help them <laughs> i'm not i'm saying this is when you know these people that have a savior complex that always are in crisis mode and they're like i just canceled my doctor's appointment so that i could rush over to jenny's house because her boyfriend didn't text her back and you're like Sounds like you should have just gone to your doctor's appointment. It sounds like yeah. Jenny was going to be just fine Everything's without you. Everything's a telenovela. Yes. They come in with stigmata, crown of thorns. I got it all Starbucks, <laughs> but I'm late. You're like, okay. I just had to sit in traffic for six hours to bring you this, you know, omelet. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> this croissant. Yeah, I didn't. Okay, well, I probably could have gotten that myself. <laughs> like, you're just trying to make me owe you something. Yes. Or you're trying to make people think that you're like Mother Teresa. Like, what even is this, this you know? This is by far the most interesting one to watch. It's interesting, and it's also kind of, it took me 10 years to understand that I well I do do this number one I don't anymore I do do it if it's a legitimate crisis so I think a lot of people that grew up in crisis which I did there was crises all the time and going to the hospital and this and you know and growing up on a farm you know there's also that like just when there's like animals get hurt and pull a cow out of a cow in any moment (laughs) I've birthed many a cow just in the middle of the night I mean really living on it the horses are out yeah you know the 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 Tractor fell off. Someone fell off a tractor. I mean, my grandfather fell off a tractor and it ran over him and he had to hold his intestines and drive himself to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of shit. Trigger that, warning. Yeah, just, sorry. Uh, <laughs> For those of you enjoying your morning coffee. But I think when you grow up on a farm, even if it's not a dysfunctional family relationship, there's always some kind of crisis happening. Yeah, the gate fell down. That's right. People <laughs> are getting hurt and whatever. Um, you seem like your neighbors were, were pretty gnarly as well. <laughs> they fucking suck. Benton will um, say things every now and then. I, I really want to get pigs again. And I was like, I want to get pigs. And he was like, <gasps> we put pigs next to my neighbors to get revenge when they killed our rabbits. I was like, please. Please say no more. <laughs> Please say no we more. We did. I mean, we loved our pigs, but. And so the deal is with being a martyr is you're playing God and you are putting other people's sort of exaggerated needs that might be a mirage and a hallucination, quite frankly, that you're inventing <laughs> so that you can make yourself like a savior. You know, these are similar to people that micromanage that kind of want to be disappointed and go, I had to do everything. These are people that want to come in and be like, I just had to 
take a flight to get here and the flight was canceled and then it was 10 minutes late and there was only peanuts, but I'm here. It's just people that kind of need a lot of attention. Do they do this for the adrenaline rush of it? I think Is that part of it? I think it's the adrenaline rush and I actually have compassion for these people because I don't think their heart is in the wrong place. I just think that it's a selfish selfish benevolence. You know when people are nice just so they can get credit for being nice? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, the nice thing to do would just have been to like send 50 bucks. Like you didn't have to, sh you know, I know people like this <laughs> friend of mine, she's sort of like this and she's like, you know, Lindsay had a flat tire so I, you know, I left work and I went to help her with a flat tire and I was like, she's got AAA. Like you didn't need to go there. Right. You could, the best thing you could have done is just stay at work so now Lindsay feels like she owes you for coming to just wait with her for AAA, like she was gonna be fine, right. you know? But it's a fine line because if someone's actually in danger, you know, but it's up to us to make the judgment of what real danger. Well, it seems like people that martyr a lot, you run a risk of being the person who cried wolf when there is a real. Yeah, but also, it's also people who I think want to be overwhelmed and want to be the person getting a lot of credit, want to be, I mean, this happens with a lot of rescue people, it's called founder syndrome, where people will start rescues, animal rescues, like with good intentions. And then so many people tell they, them that they're heroes and that they're amazing and they start getting donations and they and they start to get into this like narcissistic thing where um, they become hoarders basically because they get addicted to the attention they get for being martyrs. And it happened with this place, Wildlife Way Station in California, this crazy batshit woman who I'm sure started with genuine good motives ended up having 600 bears like in cages and was abusing them because she was so addicted to people saying, oh, you're a genius, you know? So you actually end up doing more harm than good in a way when you're martyring. Yeah, but That's why I asked that because it sounds like creating this state of like, Panic and then I fix it. Yes, panic. I'm going to create. Would create adrenaline. I'm going to create the problem and the solution yeah. to get some adrenaline hit. And it's also in smaller ways the people who you know just aren't able to um, understand their own limitations. So I've done this a lot too, where when a friend of mine is you know having a, a bachelorette party or something, I'm like, I'll do it. You know, you want to be the person that's getting all the credit, even though I don't have time to do it. And then I'll come. If if you agree to do something and then complain about it for the next eight months, you're martyring yourself. You don't have time to do it. You just want to be the person who everyone's like, oh, I can't believe you did this. Thank you so much. Like, you're so amazing. And you're like, and then you complain about it the whole time. And you come home to your person. And you're like, oh, I have to plan this party and I have to book all these flights. It's like, well, you should have said no. Don't come. This is for people who want to you're be You're martyring <laughs> yourself, you know? And, um, you know, the like, I used to do this. The person who cooks a meal for 10 people, but then you don't eat. And then you spend the next five days complaining about how exhausting mother. it was. <laughs> it's an Italian mom. You're just my mom. So it's people that kind of thrive on being victims. I mean, I have this, like, but I now channel it with things that actually need it is my recovery. Ooh. Animals, that's it's it. If an animal's in trouble, I'm the one that's like driving through. I mean, literally, I drive into fire zones to get animals out. And that is, to me, a way you can use your martyr complex for good because you're actually helping someone that needs help. Do you think people believe the martyr or just the martyr believes them? Because when with these examples, when I'm thinking about people that I know that do this, none, I, nobody that I know that's rational is like, yeah, you really are a hero. But they kind of tell you they're the hero. I don't know. I'm sure it's a case-by-case -case basis. I'm sure it's a case-by-case -case basis. I would love to see the person. I'm in recovery, so I see it. Like, 
I used to be this kind of person that was like, if someone was in rehab, I was like bringing them Nutri-Grain bars and bringing them smoothies. Meanwhile, they're like, we have food here. Right. Well, that, 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 we don't. You don't. We don't need your help. Do you believe that you're helping? Like, did you yes. really believe that? Yeah. Or did you think that they really believed it? Or did you just fa- in I think that, that it's like, it, it, you know, for me, it was an addiction. So, you know, addiction is the disease that tells you you don't have a disease. So I didn't know better. Uh-huh. I just, yes, I just thought I was doing the right thing. But my health, meanwhile, was taking a t- toll. I was bringing nutrient bars to somebody and I hadn't eaten lunch or dinner. So that's the disease of codependence is, you know, we don't put our oxygen mask on before we put it on the person next to us. We worry about everybody else's needs. Meanwhile, we're depriving ourselves and unbeknownst to us, we're building a resentment against them. So you're actually toxifying the relationship. So I'm gonna go bring nutrient bars to somebody who already has a full fridge of food or I'm gonna slave all day over this casserole that I'm gonna make for somebody. And then two weeks later go, she didn't even return my call and I made her that casserole. So I just ruined the friendship because I created an impossible standard for the person to reciprocate. And you made a casserole. <laughs> like, did you even care about that person? You made me a, uh, Benton, by the way, none of these M's apply to you. You need to keep mothering, <laughs> micromanaging, and martyring yourself on me because I'm getting a lot out of it. Benton has started cooking food for me every day and it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And the only reason I have any energy to do this podcast. <laughs> Look how much energy I have. I know, because you're good. eating actual food. I know. Normally you eat crackers. <laughs> I do eat a lot of crackers. Um, Okay, so before we move on to our word of the pod, because I feel like we're going on way too long. um, That's what podcasts are for. Did you guys learn People like it long, right? People like it long. Am I being clear? Will you make sure you ask me questions if I'm not being clear about this? Yes. Okay, because sometimes I feel like I'm not making a hundred cents. Okay, a hundred cents. I'm not making a hundred cents. (laughs) A hundred cents. A hundred dollars. I'm not making any sense. All right, so our word of the pod is I want you to say it the way Google says it. Google.computer? Yeah, go. Clairvoyant. <laughs> For some reason, the definition lady sounds, normally it's like clairvoyant. It's clairvoyant. 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 <laughs> She's kind of bitchy. Clairvoyant. Yeah, she don't believe in that shit. Clairvoyant. <laughs> clairvoyant. Okay. Clairvoyant. The word is clairvoyant. A person who claims to have a supernatural ability to perceive events in the future or beyond normal sensory contact. There's also an adjective version. What's that, Benton? Having or exhibiting an ability to perceive events in the future or beyond sensory contact. I love this word because I believe we are all clairvoyant. Me too. And I think it's a good way uh, to... describe a lot of the things that we feel. I think we're in this moment in time where it's good news that people are kind of talking about, you know, their gut, uh, spirituality, religion, what just connecting with their own sort of mental vibrations. And I, it's just a good word to have in the rotation yeah. so that people can say, oh, I had this clairvoyant instinct about this person. or It's just a good word to get back into our vocabulary because I personally think more people should be talking about their gut instinct and their ability to sense what's coming. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I grew up with my mom and dad were always like, trust your gut, trust your gut. So I've lived my whole life being like, if I felt weird, I would just leave places. Like I would just, I'm just not gonna be here. And I think that served me really well. Um, but because I think that clairvoyant people, when you say that word, people seem to think like, "Ooh, it's some ooky spooky magic." But really, like animals have like that's like a we are all clairvoyant. Thing. We are wired to be able to feel danger, certainly, um, before 
it hit, you know, it's yeah. like when you hear a noise, like you get goosebumps and you get a pit in your stomach re- right before, you know, the noise. Like, but I think we're so disconnected from our gut instinct at this point for a litany of reasons. We're on our phones all day. And I think you said this yesterday of we are clairvoyant shame. Yeah. You're told, you know, don't worry about that. That's not a problem. That's, you know, you're being crazy. You're having, you know, that's not going to happen. Whereas kids, certainly when you feel fear, when you have a weird feeling about someone or you have a weird instinct about somebody, people go, calm down. Don't be rude. Relax. Especially with women, you hear a lot of calm down. You're being emotional. And even now as an adult, I find myself, my inner monologue that has stuck with me. Like when I have a gut feeling about someone that's like, I don't know about this person my brain goes oh you're being so paranoid Mm. Whitney you're so paranoid you think you're famous and this person wants to harm you like if I'm at the comedy store if I'm somewhere and someone's being weird around me and I have a gut instinct of moving away my first instinct instead of trusting my gut I go oh god Whitney, you think you're better than them like, oh, you, who do you think you are? I still do it to myself. Well, see, it's interesting you say, you know, women are told that a lot, but guys are clairvoyant change in a different yeah, way. A different way, man They're up. Told, yeah, not to leave. If man you feel up. weird, stay there, because you'll, you know, you, 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 can, you can handle the situation. Yes. You, there's no, if you leave, you're a White you're knuckle. A wimp. Yeah. Man up, you're so a you're, pussy. You're told to stay in situations, and then women are told to stay in situations, but for different reasons. For different reasons. Yeah. And I highly, highly recommend, uh, for everyone that listens to this podcast, um, a book called The Gift of Fear. I've talked about it before. Gavin DeBecker wrote it. He's a security expert, but he talks about um, our ability to perceive fear right away. And he talks about how um, after murder cases, after horrible crimes are committed, people that knew the criminal always went, I had a weird feeling about that guy. Mm -hmm. They always say it, even though he was nice and he offered to carry my groceries and he mowed my lawn and he was so nice to my kids. People always go, I just had a weird feeling about that. We're always right. Our gut is always right about people. And I mean, you have an incredible gut about people. You know, there are times that I mean, there are a lot of monsters in Hollywood. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to use this podcast to just burn every fucking bridge. (laughs) There are a lot of monsters in Hollywood that y'all think are America's sweethearts. And I can't name names right now because I got to still keep working for another couple of years. But there are a lot of people in Hollywood that seem very nice, that are ostensibly very nice. And we're all following them on Instagram. And I am always curious about Benton's opinion because he always knows exactly what's what with people. And I have showed you some famous people in Hollywood that I know the truth about that I've showed you. And I'm like, what do you think of this person? Yeah, and I'll just tell you, I don't trust them. You're like, I don't like this person. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think... You said I don't think this person yeah. likes women. I don't, I don't think this woman is a, this woman's a girl's girl. Yeah, like you, just, and you're exactly right. And there's no other reason you could know that except your gut. Yeah, I think I think it's years of doing that because my mom's like, "What does your gut say?" I mean, she would ask me when I was wow. little. She like, "What does your gut say?" And she said, "What does your gut say?" I'm scared. Yeah. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't be rude. She'd be like, eat this. Um, <laughs> I worked all day making it. Um, but I think that clairvoyancy and this 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 is a muscle like this. Yeah, you know, that's this. true. Like, you can actively be like, "What do I think?" About it's like this? it's what like dreams. You have to actively yeah. try to remember your dreams yeah. if you want to dream more. But it's the same thing with clairvoyance. Yeah, and so the more you kind of look, I mean, that sounds very like. It doesn't to me. It really doesn't. The more you lean into like what you think. I mean, you start your day like when you wake up. Just tell yourself what would I think today will be like. Yeah, and kind of gauge the the energy or whatever you want to call it around that and see how you feel. And I think that you'll get better at it. But I think with people too, you know, like when you and 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 I'm also the first person to say that we project onto people, you know. So it's your job to delineate what is your gut instinct and what is a projection. You know, a gut instinct is a pit in your stomach, you know, and I think that we're all so confused because, 
you know, when you meet a guy or you meet a girl and you get a pit in your stomach, we've been taught to believe that's butterflies. Mm -hmm. It's passion. That's it's not butterflies. <laughs> that is a gut. That is your that is fear in your stomach <laughs> saying you in danger, girl. <laughs> Is that how? you in danger, girl? Yeah. You in danger, girl? When I do not think your person you're supposed to be with will give you a pit in your stomach. I think when you meet your soulmate, it's gonna be like, "Hey, what's up?" Sounds wonderful. I don't think it's like, "Oh my god, I'm sweating and I can't focus." That's fear. That's your body. Your body's saying, "Get out of there." But we've been conditioned to believe like it's butterflies in our stomach, and you know, it's so interesting because. I do it too, where I've been in a lot of really bad work situations and I have turned fear into, I'm like, well, it's just so exciting and he's such a genius and she's so brilliant. Oh, yeah. And I think sometimes, especially when you're doing work on yourself, which it seems like a lot of people that listen to this podcast are trying to edify themselves, you blame yourself, which is a big part of recovery as you go, what's my part in this? What's my part in this? What did I do? But when you meet someone who makes you feel uncomfortable, a lot of times we go, I'm just being sensitive. I'm overthinking it. I oh. want this a person's approval too much. And so I overcorrect on that sometimes and go like, you know what? A pit in my stomach is a pit in my stomach and I just need to walk the other way. It doesn't matter why. My fault, their fault, just get out of here. Do not s sign papers to work with that person. See, Something's amok, whether it's me or them, my body is rejecting this. I'm the psycho who will go to work and if I have a, bad feeling about a person i'll go to the managers and be like i would like to work different schedules or i would like to work in a different area uh -huh. like, i would like not because i because i, I just yeah. don't want to have a problem yeah like I'm yeah that's smart like, hey can i just if we can just can avoid just avoid this yeah person? but you can't say why or you do no i do oh i'm just like i don't want to give a fuck all right we've got to get to this interview last thing new thing i learned this week oh benton this is going to come in hot with some hot the hot thing science that we learned almond milk almond milk not so good for Almond the milk. It's not good for the environment. It takes approximately 15 gallons of water to produce just 16 almonds. <laughs> That's like a snack. That's something they tell you to eat if you're trying to just stay full for a little. So bit. almonds are bad for the environment. Almond milk almonds, um, is bad for the environment. It's well, almond growing, milk. Growing, it's al growing almonds. Wow. Growing almonds require to grow 16 almonds. It requires 15 gallons of water. So they have to have enough almonds to make the milk. So it's just, it's basically a gallon of water per almond. Yeah. <laughs> that is. Um, Insane. Have you noticed I haven't said wild once this episode? You just ruined it. Wild. I'm trying to say it less. Um, that is really heartbreaking because I feel like so many people that are trying to do the right thing for the environment, they're trying to eat less meat, they're trying to not drink dairy milk because dairy milk is... It's still worse. It's, it's still worse still for the environment. Worse. Yeah. And also for you. But I most mean, almonds are made in California. They're grown in California. That's why we have a drought. Yeah. So truly. We're all using water. They yeah. also are taking up, a, they took like uh, 23,000 acres of lands have been converted to almond farms. Oh my God. Of 16,000 of those, they used to be like classified as like wetlands or like lands that are easy to grow, like easy grow crops. That yeah. Grow very quickly. And they've taken all the groundwater from those areas. So wow. a lot of the areas are sinking. Wow. And then they built an irrigation for water, which is using That's what's happening water. with the sand in Texas. Okay, people are so panicked about that. We're running out of sand. Stop panicking people. We have to start giving them good news. Oh, are people panicked? <laughs> then they call pa <laughs> this is the section of the podcast where you, where you panic. <laughs> panic corner. Benton's yeah. panic corner. So, Benton's panic room. We are running out of sand. That is real. So you're telling me that, that Texas is basically starting to get flood because of the sand over digging is mm -hmm. that the word <laughs> yes and now california's sinking because of the almonds uh certain areas yeah they're sinking and 
Also, you know that my number one fear in life is quicksand. Uh, I'm not scared of anything except quicksand. That's a weird. Fear and eye contact. That's a weird <laughs> fear to have. Quicksand. Um, ever since I saw it, what was the not Land Before Time? What was the? I love that movie. What was it? No, that's a great movie. The one with the horse that went in the quicksand. Oh my God! The one with the flying I dog. Like a big animal. Falcor. Movie watcher. Falcor. The Falcor. La- yes, you don't know who Falcor is. I didn't watch movies with animals in them. That wasn't my thing. <sighs> I like Spooky Oogie Witch. What did you watch? The Craft. Yeah, I did. I watched. The, I like. I like. I like the Aladdin, Mulan, but, Sleeping Beauty. You never saw the movie with Falcor. I don't think so. I didn't watch like Fox and the Hound, The Lion King, The Never Ending Story. Oh, of course. Yes, I've seen. It's that. the best movie of all freaking that, time. Oh, the horse does sing. Go into quicksand. I had nightmares yes. for years. I have seen that. I love that movie. Oh, how did I forget that? I know, because it's traumatizing and you probably had to block it out. Ugh, I, I the Labyrinth. cried for days after I saw that. Labyrinth is my other favorite movie. But here's some good alternatives to almond milk. Okay, give it. Hemp milk. Hemp Ooh, takes yeah. very little hemp is, to grow. Like, yes. It's just the easy thing to grow. There's a lot of like scams with the government not wanting hemp to become yeah, popular. Because it's because it's going to totally disrupt the dairy industry. But hemp is a great one. Um, it's a little hard to find the milk, I believe, is what I, from what I've learned. Hemp milk, and it's a little expensive, I feel like. Yeah, because there's they, they can't, they're not like allowed to get to make that much. What about um, um, oat? Oat milk is great. That's what I do. Oat milk always. Coconut milk is great. I mean, they all require water. The, Co- the good thing about coconut milk is less. it's a little uh, sweet, so you don't need to put as much sugar in. Yeah, I prefer oat milk. It's the one I like the most. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so those are just all good alternatives. Also, uh, almonds are bad. Who knew? Also, you could drink water. That would be really fun. Ugh, yuck. (laughs) Gross. No, you need it for the almonds. Breast milk, if you haven't done that. I don't know how much water that requires, but it's probably less. (sighs) I feel like we've learned a lot. Yeah, I feel like we have. I feel like this was very good for people. Let us know if you've had a good for you time. This been a good time. Merch, we have merch coming out. Okay, soon. give us all the announcements. We have merch coming out soon. I think. Well, they actually sent the tests today. Uh, we are gonna have shirts that say "Blessed and Highly Favored." Shirts, hoodies, hats, um, water bottles. We're working on a nipple ring. No, we're not. <laughs> um, but yeah, the merch is coming. We're tours happening. Text, text us three two three. What was it? Shit. What's the number? Eight one eight two three. It's in her bio on Instagram. Shit. What's the number? Uh, What's we, my we, phone we had number? It right now. Uh, I use too much brain power on this podcast. But yeah. uh, text us uh, 818-239-7527, WhitneyCummings.com, all of our tour dates. We're coming to 22 cities. And today at 3 o'clock, I have a call about adding cities in the fall. I think I'm going to go to Canada. Oh, people really Denver, thank people, you. People ask about Canada every A lot. Day. Yeah, no, I know. I'm working on it. So basically, I'm shooting a movie right now, you guys. That is very exciting. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. And so my schedule's a little bit wonky. Um, and then next week I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to do Jimmy Fallon and I'm going to do Kelly and Ryan. Kelly. Kelly. And Kelly. Yeah, and Kelly and Ryan. Kelly. Yes. And Kelly's there. She'll co- be there. Kelly will be there. And uh, then I have to go to New York the following week to do um, a bunch of stuff about migraines. Like I'm going to talk at the yeah, summit about. Go, I'm going to talk at a summit about migraines. And you go right from New York to tour. And then I go to Detroit and then Houston. So I'm just on the road a lot. So hopefully we're going to be able to record the podcast um in a timely fashion when we're touring. But when I'm on tour, I don't I don't mess around. It's pretty intense. Yeah, a lot of baths. A lot of baths. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> um, okay, so let's, without further ado. Like, comment, subscribe. Okay, Benton always does the logistics. Likes, comment, subscribe. Don't ride elephants or hold Don't ride lion, elephants. tiger, or bear cubs, please. We love you. We love you. 
Next, Jim Norton, Lady J. This is maybe the most good for you episode we've recorded so far. Very good. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to have a good time. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. DHM Detox. Woo! Where were you when I needed you in my 20s, DHM Detox? This is a company that gives you vitamins that will stop you from being hungover after drinking. This is a very you product, very type A personality <laughs> well, product. Because it's a pill you take while you're drinking. You have a couple drinks, a couple teenies in your case. A couple teenies. You take the pill while you're drinking your teenies to get ahead of that hangover. It's the plan B of hangovers. <laughs> kind of is. Natural ingredients, antioxidants, and vitamins that help boost your body's natural response to alcohol so that you do not have a hangover the next day. Because I want to get drunk, but I also want to be healthy. I want to get drunk, but I need to be functional the next day. You know? Like, the worst is when you're not drinking because you're worried you're going to have a hangover the next day and be like a zombie. You come with sunglasses and a burrito. Like, don't yell at me. Don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. How important is your next day? Very important. For just a couple dollars, you can wake up feeling fine after a long night drinking. They also have free shipping on all orders in the U.S. DHM Detox is a risk-free purchase. So if you're not satisfied after taking the product, they'll give you your money back. This is a no-brainer, Benton. I got you 20% off your order, too. Just head over to DHMDetox.com. Use promo code Whitney at checkout. DHMDetox.com. Be a functional drinker. This is it. I don't take on just any sponsors. I'm not like these other podcasters that just lifelessly read ads for products they don't even use. Third Love, this is a bra company, and look at me, wearing it. Showing right her now. bra. She's showing her showing bra. It, wearing it. I'm the real deal. I'm authentic. I don't lie to you people, okay? Third Love, we got it. I wear it. I'm not full of bull crap over You love here. that bra. I love this bra. I did a great job. It's I... the only bra I wear, I swear to God, because this is what's so good about this company. It comes in half sizes. Yeah. This is what people don't understand. I'm between a C and a D. My boobs aren't big out. They're wide. And if a if the <laughs> big wide, wide boob, <laughs> I have a wide boob. I'm known for my wide sloppy naturals, uh, is that a D is too big and the underwire goes up into my armpit and impales me. And if it's too small, it squishes your boob, and your boob looks like a little nub. But not this one. Not Because your one. boobs are laying on uh, memory foam mattresses. These are... <laughs> it is memory foam material. So this bra remembers the shape of your boob. It's, like a good lover. It's got a mess, right? Uh, I love this company. You take a quiz. They send you the perfect bra. They have... Tons and tons of sizes. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Whitney to find your perfect fitting bra. I used to only wear sports bras before this. This is the first underwear wire bra that I can really wear. I'm telling you. And get 15% off your first purchase. Thirdlove.com slash Whitney for 15% off. Ta-da! What a crazy fucking combo. I don't even know yeah. how this came together. This is wild. <laughs> well, I think you were booked first, so thank you for squeezing me in. Let's start with you, Jim. Uh, you were one of my favorite comedians before I started comedy. Thank you. Still are. Thank you. <laughs> That's not going to go south. And you were always so fucking nice to me when I started. Oh, you good. didn't have to be at all. Yeah, it's funny. Like, you look back. I'm really glad I was nice to comics because everyone <laughs> I was nice to has stepped over me. And <laughs> thank God I was nice to Amy and Kevin Hart, Whitney. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, look, comedians always treated me well, and I, I, you never forget who treated you badly. Like the guys who I love, I've loved for 30 years, and they took good care of me when I started. Comedians are the ones who took care of me, so mm. I always tried to be nicer to, to younger comics because, I don't know, people were good to me. I love that you never you never tried to fuck me, which is actually kind of insulting at this point. Because <laughs> I think when you first start, like when comedians are being nice to you, or like help you like help me get spots, you like help me get a t- my first TV spot, I think like big one on HBO, yeah. and I remember being like, I guess I'm gonna have to suck this guy's dick, <laughs> and I show up, and you're just like, thanks for being here, and I was like. No, nothing like you I would totally <laughs> suck your dick right now you no. didn't want me to no I actually was trying to fuck Artie Lang he was, <laughs> on, he was on another episode <laughs> that was my goal the whole thing was to fuck Artie so no offense <laughs> I remember Artie was in the basement running his set with a disc man like what disc man with a yep. CD in it and had the headphones on and um I remember that night so vividly. Yeah, down and dirty. Which were you on the one with? Was already the headline of the with the one you yes. were on? Okay. Yes, yes. I was so fucking nervous, and I spent the whole day trying to find the right comedy shirt to wear for my <laughs> HBO appearance. And you know, I was just like running around from store to store. I had no money. I had like two hundred dollars, and I was like, I have to get the right shirt, as if anyone gives a shit. Um, and uh, I got a dumb little see-through shirt with little black dots on it, and. Uh, it was very ugly. No, but you were funny. You you looked good, and you were very funny. I mean, uh, that was a, that was a really fun series. There's some great acts that came through there. Jazz only came through there. That's right. That's right. Um, and the headliners, the four headliners were Dice was one episode, that's Artie right. was one, Patrice was one, and and Bill Burr. Yeah, was that's the other right. One. And I was just so grateful because yeah, when I started, I was definitely kind of like an edgier comic, and yeah. everyone was shaming me about it. And then to be able to do this show, and everyone was kind of celebrating it, it was like a, you know, it meant a lot to me. Well, thank you, and uh, and you were great. I love you. Well, I love you too. I didn't um, see it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I never watched the final cut either. I just I heard you kill, but I, I don't watch any. Of it. <laughs> like, not a fan of comedy. See that one. I'm a fan of yours. And how did we meet? I know, but I'm quizzing you. I just want to prove to we people we're, we're real friends, not Hollywood fake friends. Through Sia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Years like how many years ago was that? Yes. Seven years ago. Seven. Now? You were playing piano. I was playing the piano. I want to say I don't remember the night we met. Sorry. <laughs> How dare you? Was I playing? That I wrote night? video, so I'm glad you forgot. Okay, yeah, I, I'm sure I was playing the piano mm-hmm. at some point. That's what I used to do. Yes. And um, I just remember becoming fast friends. Very fast friends. Very good friends, and you know my name now. That's right. <laughs> Finally, seven years later. Were you doing an act or just playing piano? Were you singing or were you doing comedy? I was accompanying, accompanying Sia. I used to be a classical pianist when I was a little kid, and then I went and did the music directing um, accompanying thing and toured with musicians, and mm-hmm. I toured with Sia for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was my last music gig before I started writing on uh, Transparent. No big deal. Thanks. And I want to get to all that and get into a bunch sure. of stuff. I just want to say... One thing um, about Jim that you will never remember of one of the first times I was around you, we were at some Hollywood party. I want to say it was like Jeff Ross's roast show or some shit like this. This must have been 12 years ago. And I was kind of standing next to you and I was so nervous to talk to you. And you were having a moment like you just got the HBO show and you're just Opie and Anthony was just popping like you were just like in a big moment. And you didn't come out from New York that often. And this slimy agent kind of came up to you, a sort of slimy fucking agent guy. And you could like, just say agent. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's redundant. <laughs> came up to you and you could you feel those fucking snakes. They're like barracudas. Like they're circling and they're just looking for their moment to come in and talk to you. Came up to you and like, hey, Jim, what's up, man? And you looked him in the face and went, where were you 10 years ago? Really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
Wow, good for me. I don't remember that, and good for me that I had balls for once in my life. It was the craziest <laughs> shit I have ever seen. <laughs> I like, Dude, I love this guy. so Because that's what happens. Everyone wants you after you've already been good for 10 years. Yeah. You know? They do. And I remember walking away from that going, okay, once you get good, you'll make it 10 years after that. Yeah. It's a long road. It, it's always like, uh, I mean, anybody who's good, who's uh, doing the right thing, I, I think it's at least 10 or 15 years in before people really know you i mean kevin hart was what 10 years in before he started getting yeah famous fame you know people think oh he looks young yeah but he's in his mid-30s you know? yeah totally and i just remember going like it's okay <laughs> if they don't know 15 years after you're actually good that and right. it, it made me right. just learn nobody owes you anything mm -hmm. don't be entitled to success before you like once you're ready 15 years later they'll give a shit about you yeah and it like really helped me with my timeline of stop trying like trying so hard to make it right you know which is why everyone has to have so much plastic surgery <laughs> So that when you have something to say, you'll still be relevant to the 20-year-olds 15 years later. When you're finally ready, yes. <laughs> you have to get that shit in place. Exactly. You look incredible. Oh, thank you. Incredible. You're not wrong. <laughs> Are you happy with it? You're happy with the surgery and all that? I am. Yeah. What surgery? Like multiple, like 20 surgeries at this point. I met you, I mean, pre-new money. I only had my titties at I that point. <laughs> You were, you would, we'd be hanging out and you would be squeezing them and. <laughs> wow. You sound like me in a moment of self-hatred. I had scar <laughs> tissue built up that I was trying to massage out. I've had them replaced since then. Thank you. And so do you feel comfortable talking about them? Yeah, sure. All of it? Well, just full disclosure, like, um, don't go up to a trans person and ask oh, yes. anything Whitney's about to ask me because <laughs> we've been friends for a you long time. You can't ask about bottom surgery. That's what you cannot you can't ask, ask about, about any surgery. Yeah. Okay, no me, surgeries. I'm going to say something. We're going to have a very enlightening, educational, fun conversation uh, for the next couple hours. But I do. We do need to be very clear. The comfort level you're about to see is not something you should have no. with a trans person in public. Don't go up to a beautiful trans woman and say, how many surgeries have you had? And how do you Can feel? Can I see that scar tissue? Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely not. Do people do but that? I'm an open book. People do that all the time. Yeah. Well, they, they always Ugh. ask me, did you go the whole way? Are you finished? Are you complete? And um, no. I mean, are we ever complete? You know, that's the thing. It's like, it's all a journey. Um, and everyone's transition means something different to them. But they always mean, did you, did you get a vagina? Did you have bottom surgery? Okay, I want to I want to back up because we're going to ask a ton of questions. And mm -hmm. the point of this is to be able to ask a ton of these questions. So somebody listening who uh, is either uh, <laughs> wants to know answer to these questions, too embarrassed to ask, might not understand, mm -hmm. uh, embarrassed to be wrong, mm -hmm. um, and have this conversation so people understand a little bit more. But yes, again, disclaimer, do not ask any of these questions to a trans person <laughs> that you don't know, or maybe one that you actually do know. We have a very high comfort level, and yeah. I know that you're not gonna be uncomfortable because you can correct me, you can tell yeah. me I'm being ridiculous, and I'm not gonna be embarrassed. I'm gonna ask a lot of really dumb questions. Great. That I may or may not know the answer to, and just because I think a lot of people are embarrassed to ask and they don't want to be wrong. Sure. You and, know? and you know, there's a there's a time and place to learn these things. And I feel like a frank conversation on a podcast is the way to go. Yeah. With like levity and humor and no one's getting defensive because I see so many people who are just like, oh, I just can't get these fucking pronouns right. And it's like it's more sort of about <laughs> yeah. them feeling like they're failing or being embarrassed. Right. You know, I think yeah. people just don't like being wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and the uh, the pronouns are difficult, and uh, a lot of times if people get them wrong, they feel like they're going to get murdered for getting them wrong, and it's like, and you, and you can't legislate people. People should just do it because they want to do it, and it's the nice thing to do, and it's the proper thing to do. Sure. 
But well, that's, it's, it's, a, it's, a hard, it's very tricky for people, and you know, and I've been around a lot of trans people, but it's still difficult. I did a um, uh, this sort of like roundtable conversation, and we were going around our pronouns, and I got scared to do mine. I just panicked. She. Yeah, I was like, her. she, her. She, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I just was like, was that right? Like I was just so afraid of fucking up, you know. And I was like, I think I know my own pronouns, but you're just going around and you're on the spot, and uh, and so everybody clams up and they're so afraid that they're going to get canceled or get in trouble, and it's just yeah. like, if you get it wrong, just. If you get it wrong, it's all about intention, really, yeah. you know, it's a, a lot of people will misgender someone intentionally. And, you know, I think that's what we're trying to stop. I know that's what we're trying to stop. You know, someone who recognizes that I'm trans might come up to me and, you know, and purposefully say he or him. And that's the hate that we're trying to stop. Everything else, you know, fuck up. Yeah. It's okay. And you can sort of feel the motive of like, okay, I know you're trying to get this right. If, yeah. You know, if someone's heart is in the right place, no one is trying to... My favorite is when someone just stutters over a pronoun with me. I'm like, oh, honey, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to call you out on Twitter. Yeah, but I think that I think that um, you know people getting to know you better is so helpful because I've I've fucked up around you before and you're just like oh it's fine just have like, you I, yeah. I blacked it out I mean I'm sure Sorry. but I think that it's it just was like, traumatizing yeah no I don't think that you're like a snitch who's like trying to catch someone fucking up you sure. know it's like I think a lot of people have this idea you know and it becomes this like narcissistic self loathing where it's like people are gonna come for me if I get something wrong no, yeah, no. everyone has better things to do yeah you know we're all just That's like true. doing the best but there are times people like to come for you too like let's be honest if you fuck up people do enjoy the pylon. Yes, yes. Well, that is true, especially if you're a public figure. They love it. And even if they know you didn't mean it, it doesn't matter. I mean, when the villagers are burning somebody, sometimes it's kind of just fun to watch the person get burned. Oh, absolutely. And you don't want to step <gasps> in. I hate that about myself. <laughs> oh, you see, there is some kind of primordial, uh, you know, reptile brain of when someone fucks up and you're just like, you know, glomming on. Yeah. I think there's some sort of like when we were in tribes, that was a, a shaming, like a mass shaming is right. how everybody learned what the rules were. Now you're refreshing on Twitter just to to watch that, them climb in the trends. Yes. I hope it gets to number one. Okay. I hope it gets to number <laughs> so one. Fucked up. It's the darkest, them. darkest part of our fucking nature. Yeah. Get them. It's ugly. Get them. Yeah, but we don't acknowledge it either. That's the funny part. It's like we just kind of, we all act like, well, you know, there's those cancel culture, but we, cancel culture exists because we all enjoy watching people get canceled. Oh, it's so true. It's not just the people doing the canceling. It's all the other people just kind of standing around going, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Mm. And then when, uh, when, um, you drive by a car accident, you're like, I hope I see a dead person. Yeah. Like, that's what's going on in your like primal brain. You're like, and then when no one's dead, you're like, bummer. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're disappointed if you don't see some real carnage. Yeah. It's the little things that keep life exciting. You, you know? know? All right. So I don't really know where to start. So we're just going to start. So you and I met, where were you? I have, I actually have no idea. In your transition. Oh, in my transition? Yeah. It's must have been seven Trying to make ago. money. Yeah. Because I <laughs> That's think something a lot of people might not understand, and I'm just going to start here, is that oftentimes people don't have, can't afford to yeah. no, absolutely. do a lot of these procedures. I couldn't afford anything. I was living in New York. So I started my physical transition around 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> and back then I was in my late 20s. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't afford anything. I was this weird little singer, songwriter, pianist in New York City. And so I held a concert called Boo Bade. And all these amazing artists in New York came together to help me 
get my boobs. And Dolly Parton was one of them who contributed some oh. things that we auctioned off. So, And by the way, go on YouTube and look her up singing Dolly Parton. It will fix your life. Oh, thank you. I love Dolly. So I named this one Jolene. I actually <laughs> introduced Dolly to my boobs. And without even blinking or that like... That boob will take your man. This boob, well, I, I got new boobs. <laughs> I'm begging for these boobs and not take my man because they will. She introduced me to her boobs, oh, which yeah? are named Shock and Awe. <laughs> she has a George W. Bush joke era era joke about her boobs. I she has tattoos all over too that she doesn't show. Yeah, she just started talking about them actually. Really? Mm -hmm. That's why she wears the gloves? No, I think the tattoos are uh, to cover scars, she said. <gasps> oh, wow. Yeah. Just when you can't love Dolly Parton more, she She's says amazing. some shit like that. So the community came together to help me get my so you're top trying surgery. Because a lot of people don't understand, like, to transition costs a lot of money. Yes. We'll get into that in a second. Some insurance is covering it, but most insurances don't cover. Um, a, a lot of insurances are starting to cover bottom surgery because a lot of cis people, that means cisgender, you right. are cisgender, you are cisgender. Um, a lot of cis people assume that, you know, when you're transitioning, you just want to get a vagina and that's all you want. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know how you would feel if you just had a vagina, but the rest of you appeared male. Right, like, right. I, it's not really complete right. for a lot of people. So I started with, with my top surgery and then... Um, and then I put a pin in everything and just focused on my career because I realized that if I were to afford anything else, I actually had to have some money. Not only that, it's time consuming, the surgeries, the healing, the, you know, it's yeah. really a full time job. It really is. Yeah. Where were you when I needed my ice packs? <laughs> and not all girls want bottom surgery either. No, absolutely. That's a, you know, not all girls want uh, everything done. No, I have not had bottom surgery. I rarely talk about that. Except when I'm, uh, I did talk about my penis in the New York Times once. Uh, it, it is not something that I want right now. Mm -hmm. It's not something, I had some health issues come up where I couldn't actually have the surgery. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I made peace with, you know, mm -hmm. having, um, I don't, I don't even, my ex-boyfriend, you know my ex. Oh yeah. I called it my sheenus. <laughs> Or my lady stick. So I was perfectly happy yeah. with having a lady stick and I made peace with it. And I actually love my lady stick and yeah. I love that that's part of me and that's part of my transness. And um, it doesn't make me any less uh, a part of the female tribe. Yes. Um, but uh, so the bottom surgery is not the ultimate goal for everyone. But I also think that's that's something that I think a lot of people's brain explodes because they're like, OK, I'm, I'm getting to know this trans person, their journey. Wait, you're going to tell me other trans people do it other ways? Yeah, I thought that they then all do the same. There's not all. There's, there's differences not within people that transition. Okay, now I'm really lost. Yeah. I feel like we're caught up on that yeah. a, a bit. Society yeah. is not where it was yes. five, ten years ago. They transitions can go different ways. They can go more femme, less yeah. femme. And there's room for non-binary folks in this spectrum as well. Right. And people are just becoming aware of that now. So. And we'll get, they don't always have to look the way you have the picture in your head of what. You know, right. someone should look like. No, I think that's like, you know, such an important, uh, there's different transitioning within the community. And in terms of the surgeries and the costs, like, I just think it's so important that people understand, like, this is, this is not a, for people that really don't get it. This isn't just like a willy nilly. This is. No, I've spent probably a hundred thousand dollars in surgeries in the last five years alone. Mm -hmm. Since we've known each other. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. A lot of them should have been covered by yeah. health health insurance. I mean, some of them were cosmetic for sure. I'll own up to that. Um, but most of them were just undoing the effects of testosterone right. during puberty. So like taking away the bone mm -hmm. um, is, is the main thing that testosterone produces when you go through this a male puberty. The uh, forehead bone just for people this listening. This bone, this bone, this bone, this yeah. bone. Yeah. Yeah. This. 
Right. You know, you can't take away my height. Um, I, right. I, I was going to have that done, but it's really expensive <laughs> painful, yeah. and very painful. And um, and what uh, how do you decide the order in which you're going to do them? Just whatever you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I, I was really tired of being called out uh, for being visibly trans in public. So my face meant a lot to me because mm-hmm. that's the thing people see. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it worked. I don't I don't get called out as much anymore. It's not just about that, though. It's how would I imagine myself alone on a deserted island somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's fucking beautiful. It's yeah. how I imagine myself. Just the way I am. And so, Jim, with you uh, being in relationships with trans women, when did you first start talking about this? Publicly, probably 2003. Mm-hmm. My generation is a little bit different. Like, you know, when you, you you were a kid, it was just, it wasn't acceptable. You just, right. you know, you were fucking gay, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd say 2003, I did a show called Confessing It in Montreal that Jeff, um, oh my God, I'm blanking out his name. Uh, Jesus, Jeff. Dunham. Uh, Jeff Dunham. Jeff Dunham, yes. <laughs> It was me, him, and the puppet, and we all opened up in the car. <laughs> uh, forgive me, Jeff. I know you for many years. My memory is going. But it was called Confessing It, and you told a story publicly that you'd never told. Mm. So I always, you know, I love trans girls, but I, I wound up uh, having sex with this girl. Um, I picked her up. She was, I was driving back to New Jersey, and she asked me for a ride. And uh, I was like, yeah, and we were flirting, and we kind of got along, and, you know, we hooked up, and I, we had sex in my car, and I told that story. But I kind of lied a little bit. I was just kind of getting into publicly discussing, and I was like a little scared of how to say it. So I had to, I lied about, well, I think she was trans, and I, I at, the, at the end I saw a dick. It's a fucking lie. I knew the dick was there. <laughs> at the end? Fucking please. Of course I knew it was As you're there. going down. Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> I think it was in my mouth. I don't know what that was. Oh, please. I was like fucking Daffy Duck with an exploding cigar. <laughs> what the fuck am I kidding? But I mean, you know, it's like progressive. The way you talk about things, you get more comfortable as you yeah. get older, um, and you get more comfortable with who you are. Um, you start talking about it more and more. But that was uh, was was the Montreal Comedy Festival confessing it, and then Opie of the Opie and Anthony show. We were kicked off the air at the time. Said, "I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna write down that." Oh, I told him a story called uh, Monster Rain too about I used to blow my friends when I was a kid. So Opie <laughs> said, "I'm gonna write those down, and we go back on the air. I'm reminding you of that shit." And he did, and that became the name of my HBO special, Monster Rain. But the trans stuff I talked about kind of from that point on. Uh-huh. But I, it was it was kind of harder to get into. Um, and you get more and more comfortable. Every layer you peel mm-hmm. of yourself on mm-hmm. stage, you get more and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Would you say in the beginning there there was like an embarrassment there, a shame of of just like what are people going to say? And they it's not knowing it. yourself. Yeah, it's also mm-hmm. not knowing it's self, but self-identifying with guys like guys who like trans women. It's almost like uh, it's about self-identification. Like if I was gay, I would have come out many years ago and said I was gay. I was, for years, I almost said I was gay, but then I'm like, I don't think I am because I do love women. But you can't, you also, I don't think if you're dating uh, trans women and, and if, you, if you're a man and you like dick, you're not straight. Yeah. So there's this illusion that men have. Like, no, I'm totally straight. No, you're not. And it's, <laughs> and it's okay to not yeah. be. But don't, don't try to change the label to make it palatable and comfortable and fit a narrative that is, are, is, are people are happy with. So that, that's the hard part. It's about self-identifying. A lot of men that I've dated who love dick do identify as straight sure. men who love dick, though. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, uh, or straight men who love to get fucked. Yeah. Everyone knows that pegging is a thing. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. If you've ever been on the internet. Yeah. And, um, been on Reddit. How do you identify? You know, I get it's got to be bisexual. I mean, I mean, by process of elimination, it can't be straight. 
Are you attracted to men? Not attracted to men as, as far as being male. I don't like maleness at all. I despise male energy. It doesn't turn me on me at all. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, did you feel like being a comedian, It's there in a weird way, there's almost an easier way to kind of like you know, say it because you can say it on stage and test it out as kind of a joke first and see how it goes. Right. But then again, mm -hmm. comedians are can, kind of a tough, scary crowd of people. Like, do you think being a comedian helped you be able to come to this realization sooner or later? Well, sure. I mean, because I can talk about it at my job. I yeah. mean, it's, right. it's kind of hard for an accountant to walk into his job and go, I couldn't I believe you should have seen the comments. Yeah, go, yeah. You, know, you can't do that in that job. Right. In, in this job, you can explore any angle of it you want publicly. Um, and work through it. My yeah. therapist told me you got to stop working through it on stage But I'm like that's the only way I can do it yeah. is you talk through it and why uh, why not? On stage? I don't know I don't know, but I know that you can't You just can't need people to approve of it. Sure. That's the problem You have to be ready for them not to approve of it like anybody in my life who doesn't like it can get out of my life and that's not Arrogance, it's just this is who I am and if you're not comfortable with that fine but leave yeah um and the audience the audience is just so fucking annoying too because i do a joke about dating trans people and they're like oh and then they realize oh he means it and then they kind of come along and yeah. it kind of annoys me like what did you need that fucking that little co-signature before yeah. you're okay to, to laugh about something right. um but if they sense that you're not needing them they tend to come along with you a little bit more but my yes. crowd is very male um very blue collar very, yeah and they're very they've never given me shit about it like they don't they're they, they know it's the truth. They accept me for who I am, and uh, they're fucking great. Have you had people reach out to you and be like, thank you for talking about this now? Many. Like, many, yeah. I get trans people, but also a lot of guys mm -hmm. that are like, uh, I get, I get uh, emails all the time, like, man, you kind of made me feel more normal about liking that, or I, I like that, or I, I never talked about that before. You know, uh, so yeah, I get that a lot from people. That's fucking cool. I feel like the trans tipping point happened with Laverne Cox on the cover of Time magazine. Mm. For women, for trans women, trans men are still, the, the tipping point we're still working on, I'm getting uh, education and uh, advocacy out there with mm -hmm. trans men up front and center in the movement. But even further behind are the folks that are attracted to trans folks. Mm. Every man that I've dated has had incredible insecurities and fears about being transamorous. Um, you know, a lot of them have worked through, some of them have worked through more than others, but there really are so few spokespeople out there. Um, yeah, I just feel, it's just such a, it's just such a weird, I don't know, I mean, we travel all over the country, like, you know, I meet so many people, like, it's just, it's so weird to me that there's, in Hollywood, the place that's supposed to be the most progressive, left, there's just so much shame within this well, nobody wants to lose privilege. You yes. Know? Once you understand right. privilege and once you sit in a place of privilege, it's very difficult to walk away from that, no matter who you are. Mm. And I think a lot of these men don't have to sacrifice their privilege in order to have a somewhat happy life. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you're uh, fucking a trans woman, but you're going to marry a cis woman, mm -hmm. why do you need to, why do people need to know that about you? I think that's what's going through their head mm. is that they're going to lose that privilege. If they keep that person in the closet, they can compartmentalize and they can move on with their lives. I think uh, eventually that probably is not very healthy, I would imagine, mm. psychologically to, to be in the closet like that. But um, I, I think it's all about the fear of losing privilege. And that's why you see so many 
A-list celebrities and, and, I mean, business folks and politicians who are having these transamorous relationships, but they're keeping us in the closet. You also, and I think for a lot of guys, it's deeper than that, too, where I don't even know if you, if you, some guys might think that, but I don't know if guys actually equated to privilege. It goes down to, like, am I a fraud? Am I a liar? Like, who the fuck am I? You don't know who you are. Like, that's a really, it's a crazy thing to go through life not knowing who you are um, because you, you, do, you fight it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because I forgot, like, when I was a kid, I, and I blacked it out, I got called a faggot a lot when I was a kid. Like, you can't do it now, but in the mm-hmm. 70s, kids are fucking <laughs> horrendous. A term of yeah, yeah, I'm trying to trust me. Was, you know, <laughs> I couldn't have sued them for slander they were right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the way I was behaving, there was <laughs> not a lot of ambiguity. And, you know, but, you know, it's like what, this thing where there's all this shame that comes with it. So it's fucking. Uh, it, it's about self-identification and it's about not knowing who you are and it goes beyond I think oh People are gonna walk away from me. It's like am I a fraud? Mm-hmm. Like I don't know who I want to love women I don't want to love I don't want dick. I want pussy But then you date a woman with a vagina and you're like fuck me. I want the other mm-hmm. That's not what I want and it's not I mean I would I would date a woman I guess who I, and I, t- I don't like saying cisgender. I, I'm fuck. I, it, it, that kind of drives me crazy. I, it's too late. Yeah, <laughs> too late. I know it's there cisgender. to stay, but I don't need to disguise it. Like if I'm dating somebody and and she has a dick, I prefer that. I yeah. mean, that's that's the reality of it, and that's as blunt as I can be about it. It's yeah. it's uh, not necessary, sure. but that's what I prefer. Huh. Have you? Are you trying to hook us up right now? No, I happening? swear this is not a setup. <laughs> I'm not. This is what it seems like. Um, just some weird miracle happened. I think it's also the the closet, uh, the being in the closet. That happens because for so many years, trans women were seen as uh, these deceptive folks. We were seen Say in it. Hollywood. Say it. Tricky. 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 That, that trickster. I, she's I don't trying know. to do you, something. And your hair's a different color today than it was yesterday. Yeah. That's just woman, the, though. No. That's also just <laughs> welcome to just being a woman. Everyone thinks you're tricky. No. Everyone thinks you're lying. Trying we're to just pull trying something. to survive. I know. Just trying to be happy. And I think to be seen in public or to admit that you you are uh, dating someone who is very misunderstood by society um, is another reason why people stay in the closet. And so give me an example of, I mean, in your life when you're dating men that, I mean, do you feel right away like, oh, I'm being kept a secret or oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're they're not right away. I think there's a lot of denial that happens depending on how hot the person is. <laughs> So if, you know, if I'm talking like they're really hot, like, I've never met any of your friends. We've been dating for six months. You only come to my house. (laughs) After 10 p.m. Wait a minute. Uh, But no, that That did happen. That women too. (laughs) Does it? Yes. Wow. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, no, that happened once. I was with the guy for six months and like never met one of his friends. And then finally we were out in public and holding hands and he dropped my hands when he saw someone. And the person asked him how he how he, he knew me. And he goes, oh, we work together. I was like, oh, okay, okay, no, no. no that's, oh, that's awful. That's not okay. I still stayed with him for three weeks. Did you? <laughs> three weeks of solid fighting. But uh, it was like, what, what happened with that? Because, you know, everyone wants to be loved and nobody mm-hmm. wants... To, love to go away and I did feel loved in those private times mm-hmm. um, and I'm talking this happened like three years ago mm-hmm. this is not um, when I was a teenager you know right. so this is something that like trans women of all ages um, uh, go through and um, I finally that was the last I had of that I'm, I, I can never date anyone who's in the closet again can, do you have the conversation up front with someone when you first start seeing them? Like, how Well, yeah, you always meet in public, always meet in a restaurant. First of all, that... Mm-hmm. For a first date. For a first date. Mm-hmm. That knocks most of the guys out who you meet online. 
because um, they want to. Or I've gotten messages when I'm in the restaurant. I'll get a message saying, "Hey, I'm in the parking lot. Can you come out here?" I'm like, Ugh. no, I'm not going out to the parking lot. They're so terrified to be seen in public with a trans person, especially someone who is visibly trans. It's easier to spot women now than it was 15 years ago because everyone's talking about it. Years ago, like women who like wouldn't have been quote unquote spotted. Uh, now you kids, it's in the zeitgeist. Everybody is aware of it. Sure. So it's like it's easier to tell now than it was years ago because everybody is so Thinking aware. Thinking yeah, about it's there. it. It's just oh, there. that's interesting. It's so there yeah. that it's not at all hard. And one girl told me I have the eye. I mean, because I, I could tell through the fucking Hubble telescope. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, girl told me you have the eye. You can. Yeah. But it's 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 now. It's everybody's so aware of it when you're hyper aware of something. Yeah. It's not. And that that's why a lot of trans women are getting more hate now more than ever. I I got the most hate when I was living in New York City because people understood and knew about trans women. So people clocked me more often. Where I would go to my hometown in Pennsylvania, a little village of two hundred people, and they're like, "Well." She's wearing a dress. She might, might as well be a woman. That must be a woman. And in the meantime, I have like stubble on my face. Uh, so I never got clocked there. Um, but in New York, I, I got called a faggot. I, I, I've never been called a tranny in a negative sense. I've uh-huh. only been called a tranny in, in a positive sense from my sisters. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, but it, it, in New York, uh, that was happening. And that was 10 years ago when I was there. So now um, it's happening a lot more all over the place where trans women are getting called out for their transness, um, facing a lot more hate and a lot more violence than ever. See, that is a, a terrifying to me. And also, I think a lot of people might find it be surprising because I think ostensibly we're going, oh, my God, there's poses on and winning every award and transparent won every award and like you know there seems to be some kind of ostensible progress but what you're saying is with this new level of education people are now able to identify more and it is progress to have things out in the open and to be able to talk about things but we're only at the very beginning of that progress Mm -hmm. there's still so much more obviously so i just want to back up a little bit to when you knew as a child something was uh, a foot. Nothing was a foot with me. I yeah. knew that something were, was yeah. something a foot was with a everyone foot else. Right. with the village. Right. It was like, why? Why is everyone acting crazy? Like, why do I have to do this and why do I have to behave like this? This I makes remember me you no have sense. a story about when you were playing. Was it Red Rover? Oh yeah, a game. I put that into transparent. Yes, where that's right. There was. Um, I I was playing Red Rover with the girls and suddenly one day How they just you? decided I must have been six. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just decided I couldn't come over. Um, and they just didn't call me over. And when I finally tried to break the chain, I just couldn't break the chain. And I was like, well, what's wrong? And, and then they said, well, you're a boy. You can't play with us anymore. And um, so I burned down the school. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> Emotionally. Put, put a hex on those motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, no, but I just stopped talking um, for almost two years. I didn't play with any kids. I just faced a brick wall at recess and was like, well, fuck. Fuck these kids. Fuck everyone. It, it wasn't something that I thought was wrong with me, ever. It wasn't until years later where I was beaten down so much, where you have to learn to behave this way, and you have to learn to say this thing, and you have to speak in a certain tone, that I realized, okay, there, this has something to do with my gender mm-hmm. and the rules of society regarding my gender. Mm-hmm. And so in my adult life, and my transition, it hasn't really even been about the physical change. It's been about undoing all the programming, right. all the male programming Unlearning. that I was taught from that age. Can I ask you if a child in that situation today, like what would you have needed back then that you didn't get? Besides all the, besides the kids gun? to stop, <laughs> besides the kids stop being such little bitches. Uh, just support and understanding mm-hmm. the vocabulary. We didn't have the yes. vocabulary. My mom, by the way, my family and I have come so long. Um, 
uh, so far. Yeah. We get along so well. My parents are so supportive. They go to PFLAG now. It was not What's always that? that way. Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of an outdated term, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's a group that they go to vintage in Pennsylvania. Term. It's vintage. Yes. I'm a friend of a gay. A friend of a gay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so they, they go to groups and, you know, and, and, and they talk about their feelings now. And, and we talk about how things used to be. And one of the things that they said was that they just wished they had the vocabulary. Yeah, the tools to be able to identify what was happening and support. Yeah. You they know? just had no idea. Yeah. They thought I was rebelling because um, I liked glitter and piercings. <laughs> and I was rebelling at one point. The blue mohawk. Okay, that was rebellion. <laughs> Um, I want to just go through a couple things because as we're talking, there's certain things I'm going, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't say that, and why. Um, I remember when we met. We met, we talked, we connected, and then later something came out um, about being transgender. And the first thing I thought was like, I had no idea. And, and I had no idea. Were you not listening? She was to trans. My voice? I did, no, I, I literally <laughs> was like, and then I was like, oh my God. Should I tell her that she passed? Should I be like, hey, I had no idea. Right. And then I was like, don't do that. I think you did, actually, at one point. <laughs> it's okay. I think, it's um, not really a compliment. I mean, some, for some people, it's a compliment. You I think know, a lot I, of people I'm proud don't know that that's not <laughs> something you should yeah. say. Sure. And can you just tell us why? Oh, yeah. Well, some people, they'll say, oh, wow, you did a really good job. Yes. I think a lot of people want to go like, I had no I'm idea. Like, okay, yeah. I facilitated the surgeries in a way that maybe fits in line with what society deems to be beautiful. Yes. Okay, yes. That's I've right. done that. That's perhaps. right. Uh, but yeah, I'm proud to be trans. And, and I think to say something like that, um, you're assuming that person is not proud to be trans or that person has shame around their transness. That's interesting. Or you want to give yourself like points sure. or something. Or it's just like it becomes so, about the cis person, which and, it always does. Or you're just like so excited for the person. You know, it's just like sure. this, like a, a weird sort of selfish need to let them know. Sure, I think you just you just wanted to talk about surgery. I think so too. I just want to be like, who's your guy? <laughs> exactly. Lola is a modern approach to feminine care, a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton, tampons, pads, liners, and all-natural cleansing wipes that Benton sometimes uses to remove makeup, but are actually feminine products. I love Lola, 100% natural. If you're putting something inside your body, you don't want it to be full of chemicals and fragrances and shady ass, right? Random poisons and stuff. And all the feminine products that I made myself, <laughs> who knew what was in them? God. I was just whatever I could find. Glitter, yeah. Uh, no cleansing agents, no added chemicals, no dyes, no nonsense. 100% organic product, no chemicals, fragrances, synthetics, or dyes. I'm gonna keep yelling this at you. Buy this. Uh, so much better for you. So much better for the environment. Um, safe to put anywhere in your body. Biodegradable. All natural. Individually packaged. And you can customize it based on your flow, what you need. So you don't have like 50 extra tampons lying around in your purse like a crazy person. 30% off your first month subscription. Visit mylola.com. Enter Whitney when you subscribe. Mylola.com. Rothy's is already my favorite company because in the ad copy they sent, they wrote in big red letters, no profanity. <laughs> I felt triggered. I was not planning on being profane. I love this company. Unless I was going to curse to be like, I love this company so effing much. Maybe that's what they're But not today. Not today. I'm not going to use that. I'm going to say so freaking much. Uh, I love this company. They make stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles. 
and they're crazy. Genius. They're, it's genius, and you got me. You picked them out for me, and I yeah. love them. Got you some high tops and some nice uh, businesswoman loafers. Well, some they were some like flat. little flats, so that I could do my Audrey Hepburn thing. I could walk in, and so people think I'm classy yeah. all of a sudden. And they're machine washable. People respect me. The fact that you could just put these in the washing machine when they're dirty. This is such a game changer. Yeah, you go from the office to see your horse, and then we wash them right up. Yeah, I can step in crap. Oh, I get why they were worried about profanity. <laughs> I was about to curse again. <laughs> uh, I can put them in the washing machine and clean them right up. I hate it when I'm wearing new shoes and I'm worried about getting them dirty. Oh, yeah. It's so annoying. It's insane. Why did it take so long to figure this out? Uh, they are made from, again, repurposed plastic water bottles. Rothy's has diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills. And you feel good about yourself. Conscious fashion. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash Whitney. Rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash Whitney. Get your new favorite flats, comfort, style, sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash Whitney. Have this, you know, the whole thing about <laughs> tricking guys, too. A lot of that, yeah, there are girls who might do it, but a lot of that is men know, and they don't like the acknowledgement. Yeah, like, it, it's almost like a lot of guys want to pretend even in their own head that they were fooled. And like, oh, I didn't know. Oh. That's a little easier. Um, but I know one one girl I know, she said she would meet guys, and she would always tell them through text. Because she's like, if you tell them in person, a lot of guys... I mean, deep down they knew anyway, but you might get a very violent reaction. Yeah. So she said mm -hmm. she'll always text it to them. So if they have a bad yeah. reaction, they don't have to feel like they have to reaffirm who they are by being shitty to her in yeah. person. I do the same thing. Wow. And I do the same thing with my HIV disclosure. I'm HIV positive. I'm very open about that and an activist in that community. Um, I text both of those things in person. So if the person ever like tries to pull some sort of stun, say she didn't tell me, right. she's trying to trick me, I'm like, I have a screenshot. And people will try to do that. They try to what? Pretend they didn't know. They try to pretend they didn't know that they're not attracted to trans folks, you know, or they'll get so close to their desire and then back away because the shame rebound. Mm. So they get so close and then suddenly they'll freak out. Mm. When I was a kid, sorry to interrupt you, when I was a kid, this, this is how that is when you get close. If I would masturbate when I was really, like when I was 12 or whatever, I would think about a girl or I would think about a boy. But there was times where if I was thinking about a boy, as I was about to orgasm, I would make myself put a girl in. Like oh, it was yeah. really, it was almost like I would immediately change the slide. Mm. Just so I was like, oh, you're not a fag. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. No, I literally did the same thing. And then I would pray afterwards. Yeah. I didn't go that far, but I mean, I, <laughs> I was very progressive. But no, I would, you, you put that, that slide in. So that was the final image I had. So I get why people do that because I did it and I didn't know what I was doing. Like sure. at the I didn't realize that that's what I was doing at the time. There's a lot of programming that we all carry with us and a lot of shame. And then do you remember any specific programming like I mean watching porn uh, like what wh like where did you get the initial programming from the stuff besides like the obvious phobic stuff like church what we say it's church it's porn church I mean everywhere television uh, one of the the reasons that I'm so passionate about my job as a writer is that I get to put characters on television that I had never seen before and when you don't have the reflection of who you are when mm -hmm. you're not able to relate to something in the media mm -hmm. which is that's our mirror now that's our modern-day mirror um, there's an absence and a sense of shame of like, why why can't I see myself? There must be something wrong with me because of that. And that is my point of like how we can't point to something that caused this because there's just an absence of it. Right. And when there's just such a dearth of it, 
you have nowhere to, yeah. you just think you're crazy. Well, there, there are certain points for sure that we can point to um, in regards to the shame that was spread. Uh, I mean, just from the the 80s with mm-hmm. the fear of HIV AIDS and, yes. and the homophobia that translated into transphobia as well. And then, of course, I mean, every war that's been fought in the name of religion as well. Yes, 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 yes. That'll do it. There are certain points, but but it, uh, most of it is more insidious than that. Right. I'm going to ask a couple uh, very dumb questions sure. um, that I think a lot of people want to pretend they know the answer to. But if you were actually to ask them, they might get like tripped up just to really get granular. Um, someone asked, what is the difference between transgender and gender nonconforming? Um, some folks who are trans also identify as gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, some folks don't. Um, so those two terms overlap. Um, trans is the word that most people use now as uh, a term where there's a lot a lot of wiggle room for uh, self-identification within the term trans. Right. Um, gender nonconforming means that you don't conform to the gender you were assigned at birth. Right. So simple. Does that make sense? So simple. And uh, then... But some trans folks do believe that they conform to a gender. Yep. Um, if you're a binary trans woman, that means uh, that you do uh, identify strongly mm-hmm. with being a female. Mm-hmm. I identify mostly with being a female. Part of it also, people get afraid because they're afraid of being... People who, uh, if they're really hesitant, there's a fear of, b- of exposure. Like, mm. people are afraid, like, if I say this wrong, you're going to see how I really feel. Yes. Like, if you don't have anything to hide with how you feel about it, you're not going to be afraid to make, like, I wouldn't give a fuck if I made a mistake. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I gave me some mistake. Like, you can't I know be, who I am, yeah. Yes. Are you afraid of saying the wrong term? Or, mm. oh, no, I didn't say this. Or, I don't know, like, I don't know what binary non I really don't know what a lot of that is. Yeah. Okay, I don't know what it is. So what? Uh, you, if, if you're not afraid of being exposed for having shitty feelings... Uh, then it's more comfortable. I think a lot of that hesitation is people are afraid that their true feelings are going to come out or that there's an ugliness that they feel that's going to be exposed. Right. Let it out. I mean, we'll see. And I think that there's a little bit right now of like, the words keep changing. You know, that's that's what I hear a lot of people like, I can't keep up with all these terms, you know? Yeah. And what words (laughs) keep changing? Well, uh, someone, this, I mean, these are literally just from Instagram questions I got. I, I mean, I do understand. Like, tranny used to be a good thing in the 90s yeah. and in the early aughts and in the sisterhood. We used to call each other that. And then people yeah. started using that word uh, as, a weapon. For, as a weapon. And so we stopped using it. Most of us stopped. Some of us still say it in private. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something you should say now. Right. Um, yeah, I do understand. And then, you know, transsexual was the term as well. I always identified as, I still identify as a transsexual mm-hmm. because that um, means medically I have transitioned. Mm-hmm. Um, transgender doesn't always necessarily mean that there's a physical transition happening. Right, right. And I also just want to get into why this is so important. Uh, back to um, you not being able to play Red Rover, why it's such a big deal to just learn and understand this. Like, you know, I think about, um, you know, I remember we were talking, just the changing of the driver's license, the passport. Like, just can you talk a little sure. bit about the process of just having to go oh, through all the fucking I logistics? blacked it all out. <laughs> when you said <laughs> that, I was like, oh, God, I did that. waking you up. 
I'm waking you up. And just like the, you know, I know the word microaggression, you know, people sometimes roll their eyes at, but the, the word does mean something important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's going to the DMV. And then uh, when I moved to L.A., my New York um, ID said female, but my passport still said male. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the DMV 10 years ago to get my driver's license here. And um, she just looked at me and she goes, honey, that's not going to fly here. And she just put in male. I was like, excuse me. And she's like, well, you need a doctor's note. And I'm assuming your doctor's in New York. So, And she just like wouldn't even give me a chance. And, I, you know, two days later, I brought her a doctor's note. Like I had to bring in a doctor's note to say mm-hmm. that I'm female, even though my ID in New York said that I'm female. So that person was just having a bad day and obviously didn't like trans folks. Mm-hmm. So like little things like that would happen here and there. At the Social Security Department, I, I I did try changing my age, actually. And that did not fly. <laughs> but they were fine with the gender. I was like, I'm just going to put 1984 in here. Uh, <laughs> she, she'll be so bedazzled by the gender change that she won't even notice. She noticed. Um, and then, I mean, for someone who is not in a situation who, you know, is on the award-winning shows and uh, getting all the bags. Like, what does that process look like for someone that might not be financially solvent yet in terms of... Well, it can really be a nightmare. It's expensive. Uh, There are a lot of court fees that you have to pay just to change your name and to change your gender. And then, uh, you know, we were talking about the medical bills as well on top of it, but also seeing a therapist. A lot of Mm -hmm. um, people don't have access to uh, mental health care. Uh, That was certainly the most important part of Mm -hmm. my transition has been mental health care. it all started with therapy and then it all kind of blossomed from there or unraveled, if you will. Um, so there's that. And then also you just need all of these letters. Yeah. Like I had to get, what surgery was I having? I don't remember. I had some surgery like a couple of years ago where I had to have two letters from different doctors. And on one of the forms, it said, does this person um, act feminine? And I was just like, really? We're putting (laughs) in Los Angeles two years ago. Do they act feminine? And I had to have a professional check that box box saying yes. I had a good doctor, actually, who I told her I wasn't going to get the second letter. I was like, I only have one therapist. So is this a a psychological evaluation in order to get a surgery? In order to get a surgery, yeah. So in order to... I'm 41 years old. Like... You were born in 1984, I thought. What do you mean? 78. <laughs> do you need that Why for do the I insurance need... to cover it or for the surgery to happen? No, just to have the surgery. Oh. Um, sorry. I'm... It's okay. It's a lot of letters. I've yeah. had a lot of letters. A lot of logistics. Letters. Yeah. A lot of paperwork. And it's one of these things was once it's out of the way, I put it out of my mind. Right. Like it's, it's been a nightmare. And then I'll, I'll go revisit it if I'm going to write about it, obviously. Right, right. But it's not something I carry with me on a day-to-day basis because it's so heavy and, and a bit traumatizing. Right. And then... Um, and when I think a lot of people, you know, might not understand that this sort of concentric circle of transitioning and possible, like if someone's suffering from addiction, when mm-hmm. you're having these surgeries and you have right. to be on painkillers to recover from the surgeries, just also sort of the additional struggle if someone, you know, is in recovery or something, what that brings right. up. Oh, I love the pain pills. <laughs> <laughs> I get to have a free lapse. No, I am in recovery. I'm, I am sober. And um, I mean, that's just a whole that's a whole other element of things. Um, But thank God, you know, I have uh, people around me who care about my sobriety and and help me take care of pain management. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then in terms of uh, I just want to go back to this because I think a lot of people have questions about it and really do want to understand in terms of the surgeries you prioritize. A lot of people can't afford to do 
everything. Right. Which is why we're fighting for recognition of the the spectrum of gender for what it is. I think it's important just to release the the stigma around um, being gender nonconforming, right. um, so that you can figure yourself out first before mm-hmm. you need to go under the knife. If you do go under the knife, mm-hmm. um, and then everything uh, just becomes a lot easier from mm-hmm. that point on. Yeah. And then in Hollywood, how was your experience ten years ago versus now? Um, I'm going to ask you this, too. Well, I just sold my gender yeah. to Hollywood. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I did, and it's fine. It's going well. Um, I Ten years ago, I moved here to make music, and I, I was doing okay. Mm-hmm. I, I was doing really well in New York before I transitioned, yeah. and then all my work dried up, yeah. which is why I moved from being a pianist to being a singer-songwriter pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I could educate people about what gender was through my music, through my lyrics, through my live shows. And then actually, when we started hanging out, I I was like, oh, Whitney's really funny. And um, we laugh a lot together. And I was like, well, maybe I'm a little funny too. Because people would laugh at my stories that I would tell in my shows between songs. So I started writing a stand-up routine in 2000. You leave a Whitney can do it. 14. <laughs> if she, if she can, can make money. <laughs> so... I, I was going to do stand-up for a minute, and at that moment, I met Jill Soloway, mm-hmm. who said, are you a writer? I'm looking for a writer for Transparent. And so I had all of this material, and I would put it into a short story overnight and sent it to Jill, and then I was hired to um, be a staff writer on Transparent after a bit of training. And mm-hmm. it, long story short. So you're now on Pose, uh, which Pose. is a show, which if you haven't seen it, how dare you, um, about ball culture in New York. Why is that so important well, to your community. It's the first show where every trans role has been played by a trans person. And um, it not only features one trans person, but it's an entire cast of trans folks. And also, it we focus on the lives of trans women of color, which is something that we have not seen in the media accurately portrayed. Um, and it, it it's about the ball scene in the 1980s, so there's a lot of... Um, talk and education that we're doing around HIV AIDS Mm -hmm. as well Um, and it's just a lot of fun Mm -hmm. it's a lot of people don't understand that pop culture references ballroom culture yes Yes. in everything that you see every pop star that you're watching there are dance moves that are happening that came from ball culture does that frustrate you when people don't know I I mean sure it's always frustrating but I I get back to well why don't, don't people know okay well they just haven't been taught so how do I teach them right you just that's so mature Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As two comics, we're listening to ball culture be discussed, and we're like, ah, very mature. Good, good. <laughs> Not about testicles. But it's like, it's like we're like, I'm in recovery, and like when I see in like an exercise class, someone says something from like recovery, I'm like, that's a recovery thing. That's yeah. not yours. Like it really pisses yeah. me off, you know? Like it just like, 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 oh my God, that's so genius. It's like, dude, that's a fucking AA thing exactly. 30 years ago. Yeah, somebody in 1950 yeah, said that at a convention fucking, yeah, somewhere. Right. Yeah. It works if you work it. Now everyone in spin class is like, Oh my God, yeah. that's genius. And it makes me fucking angry. I don't it know used why. to make me really angry, but that I realized that was holding me back. I was getting so caught up in my resentment that I, I wasn't actually doing anything about it. It's my life in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> but once I released the resentment, I realized, yeah. oh, I can do something about it. And my whole career unfolded because of that, or my, my career expanded because of that. And I was able to find my voice as a writer because I was able to listen to what people needed. Mm. 
there's also just this thing, and I'm I'm thinking about you, Jim, because it's like I, you know, your stand up. I mean, granted, I mean you're just one of the best. Thank you. And I just feel like you fucking on. You're just firing on all cylinders right now. Do you think that talking about this like unlocked another level, sort of in terms of your, you know, being able to write as a comedian and be truthful? It, yeah, it just frees you up. Yeah. Because I, mean, I just go on and talk about what you know. That's all it does. It frees you up a little bit. I yeah. mean. Um, I don't know if it makes the writing any easier. It just it's more easy. It's easier to be honest mm -hmm. um, and to not have to worry like how do I say this without actually saying that part? Like you know, mm -hmm. I can just say whatever I want. Yeah. So yeah, it opens you up and like anything else in life. If it's if it's a secret, it's harder to dance around it. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about it truthfully, it's it's much easier to plow through it. Yeah. People are very responsive too. Again, if they know that you don't need their approval, yeah, they tend to stick around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like I do feel like as a comedian, if you have secrets, it's like you're gonna plateau. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the secrets will will drive you too. But if you if it's something that you're really trying to avoid, it's going to make your writing. It's like literally this giant thing in the room that you're walking around mm -hmm. as you're writing, and mm -hmm. it's 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 difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. um, like I don't know how to talk about dating. If if something uh, is going to come up about dating, if that if it ties in with the person's trans, I kind of have to say it. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be all about that either. I mean, that's yeah. not all my dating life is, and that's yeah, yeah, not yeah. all. You know, if you're even if you're with somebody who's trans, it's not just like you know we're out. Hi, you're trans. Have a salad. You're trans. <laughs> the same thing as anybody human else. Being. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But even in New York, where like you said people think they're so open and stuff like that. I was with a girl, and uh, and she was you know uh, she she was you know someone who was not uh, afraid of confrontation. Let's just say. Um, <laughs> But we were holding hands walking, um, and this was uh, on, on the east side of Manhattan, and uh, and she was a, a she and she there was a group of guys let go of my hand, like um, which I realized she was probably much hotter. I, I was probably like way below her fucking level, but I, I, <laughs> but she was always like, nah, it's just easier. Some like it, it was almost like she sensed maybe there would be a problem. Wow, you know what I mean? So it's not even. Everyone when your friends of, came up? No, no, no. Just people just, out and about. But I remember she, we were walking. She just from, wanted to upgrade. She just wanted to leave the option open. No, she was afraid it could get like somebody could say something. Like she was aware that these people might say something and not, like, wow. no, nah, not in the street, not in a, you know, like she was a little bit paranoid about it too. Was that recently? <sighs> That's probably the last two summers. Wow. It, it was. I so, believe yeah. it was on a. I was. I think it was a July Fourth. Actually, we were going from dinner to my house. I. I think, but it was in the summer, so we were walking. <laughs> And um, she, you know, she, I guess, have had so many people say things to her that she was yeah. a little worried that it was going to get weird yeah. for me. Just self-preservation. Yeah. That's just wow. a point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people are really surprised to hear these stories, but they happen all the time for trans folks. Mm -hmm. uh, an ex of mine, I was walking, holding hands with downtown, and someone just came up to him and said, hey, you know, that's a man. <laughs> like, right in front of me, like, yeah. pointing to me as if I weren't there. And... Luckily, he was so shocked that he didn't do anything about it. Otherwise, I think it would have gotten violent. Afterwards, he, he certainly was so riled up. And it's, it's annoying, too, because it's like, what's the motive of the guy doing it? Like, what do you think you're doing? Yeah, like, if you're that driven to walk over and say something, you have some investment in it. Yeah. You absolutely. have some fucking stake in that mentally. If you care that much to get, like... Uh, go out of your way. To go out of your way or to care. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? If it's like it, it, The fact that it matters to you at all... Um, do you go places like uh, like I always wanted to go to Dubai, but then the older I get and the more I realize like that whole fucking part of the world is just really shitty and transphobic and fuck them. So I, I, I kind of don't want to go. It's, it's illegal. Is it illegal to go even yeah. if it says female on yeah. your George uh, Gigi Gorgeous was just turned away. Um, was it for that reason or was yeah. she? Oh, okay. For being trans. So what countries is it? 
all of the Emirates? I'm guessing. I, it was Dubai is what I'm thinking. Yeah. I actually don't know what, what countries. I just know Dubai. Yeah. One. Huh. I and know you... in Iran, they will pay for your entire transition. The government pays for your transition. Really? Yeah. Because of insurance? It's or... illegal to be gay. So there have been people who transition not because they're trans. There's a documentary made about it a couple of years ago. What's it called? We don't have Wi-Fi today. Our Wi-Fi know. is down, but we are going to I hope find I'm not making this up. No. Some sort of fever dream I had. I think my transness was actually a lot easier for my family than my queerness. Why? I identified as queer. My sexuality was queer first because the church had already had years and years and years of hate built up against queer folks. So they were able to identify that as something that would take down the village. I always see that if someone is being hated in a community, it's because people are afraid that that person is going to be a danger to the community. That's my compassionate lens. Mm. And so there was this idea that they already knew that that was a sin. And so they... Um, they had the language to speak out against that. But the transits took everyone by surprise. Mm. And then once I started having a more um, conforming binary feminine look, it became a bit easier for them mm. because there was nothing. The church didn't have anything to say about transness at that time. Now they do. Yeah, right, right. They wow. caught up. Their hate caught up. Wow. My family, not my family. My family is very accepting, but the the church in general. Hmm. And then so could you just for people listening that are younger, that are sort of trying to figure out what's going on, what was your journey like just in terms of, oh, this is what I am. Oh, wait, no, this is what I am. And then this is what I am. I know I've heard you talk about seeing Rue at a young age. and Oh, yeah. I saw Rue Paul in like 1994 when Supermodel came out and my cousin called me. It was like, girl, you got to come over to Mimos and we got to watch this <laughs> video. Because we didn't have MTV at our place on the farm. So I went over to Mimos and I waited by the television for that um, music video that came on. And she's like, that's a man. <laughs> that used to be a man. And I was fascinated. I thought RuPaul was trans. I didn't know what RuPaul was. Mm -hmm. It just gave me enough permission. Uh, it gave me enough space to play a little bit with gender in, in my young um, mind and I was able to realize that okay there are more possibilities out there than the ones I've been given and so just to your point about you know um, uh, some that's being a mirror it's just like the more you can see the more you can start figure out what's going on for sure see yourself reflected yeah um, can you and unless this makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to like what are some things that the average person just should not say to a trans person well just don't start talking about gender out of nowhere <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Really exhausting. <laughs> Trust me, trans people think about hey, so gender. gender, right? What's the deal? <laughs> Let's talk about Can gender. Can I get my coffee, please? <laughs> exactly. Uh, just, just don't bring it up. Like <laughs> yeah. it's really, we think about it a lot. We've done a lot of work on it. Mm -hmm. Just assume that we've done a lot of work. Yeah. Also, just assume that we're smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> like that's really helpful because if you know, if I look this damn good. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I've, I figured something out. Um, uh, and just know that maybe I've done a little bit more work on gender than than maybe you have. Yeah. And so um, you don't need to people really. People want to get me. their brownie points. They want to check that ego box. They, they want to be like, "Hey, I watch Pose." And you're like, "No, I write it. I know. <laughs> Thank you." You know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's nice to hear things, and it's nice to hear people uh, come come along, and for people to say, "Oh, I I didn't know this, and now I." understand a little bit better of course that's encouraging mm -hmm. um just be a human being about things right i don't know does that help <laughs> yes i think so but i i think that um so many people uh are like 
actually kind of eager to really get it right. And in so doing, they're sort of exhausting the very people that they're trying to respect. By sure. being like, so what's your pronoun? Tell me everything. I need now you to tutor me for 20 minutes because I'm so progressive. Sure. Watch four seasons of Transparent and That's two it. seasons of Pose. That's it. Everything I want to say about gender, I put mm-hmm. onto those shows. And can you just chime in a little bit about, um, you know, of in Hollywood right now, not that we're going to talk too much about Hollywood, but just that in why uh, we need more transgender actors playing transgender roles. Um, well, besides it's besides it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. um, for accuracy. I mean, it's important to acknowledge that the talent is out there, yes. that there are trans folks who have talent. Um, which was shocking five mm-hmm. years ago when I was going to meeting after meeting saying, well, we just can't find any trans talent. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, you're not looking. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of trans talent. Um, maybe not all trans folks have the same access and privilege um, as cis folks to having an agent or to having a team that's putting their name out there, but you have to look a little harder mm-hmm. to find trans talent. Mm-hmm. Um I think people have just been afraid of us slaying the red carpet for all these years. Uh, by the way, not no, not untrue. <laughs> you just fucked up the bell curve. You know what I mean? It's like I've noticed there since trans folks started appearing on red carpets, like everyone has had to up it a little it's bit. It's so true. Sorry. It's so true. How dare you? Yeah, so we're just trying to, you know, <laughs> just making things a little more competitive now. Um, Jim, how do you basically meet women? You know, it's really, it's, it's, uh, usually they'll reach out. It's sometimes after a show, but a lot of times I get contacted on, uh, whether it's Instagram or social media. I mean, people who are aware of me will just kind of reach out. I mean, let's be, I, I, I'm never going to go out and it's never going to be like a physical thing where they're like, oh, this guy, you know, it's always got to be something that they've seen me say that they like, or it's always a mental connection first. And then the physical, they just kind of accept. All right. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> this is what we're working with. Why are you with. doing that? I think you're hot. Well, you're very sweet. Uh, I'm but, not. Uh, I'm really not. It's, it's, uh, it's one of that, but it's it's kind of hard to meet people because where do you go? Sure. I mean, I'm working every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Are you so on yeah. Tinder? No, I'm not on any dating apps. I was, I was on all of them. Mm-hmm. Raya, I think I was. Oh, how did Raya? Oh, for two seventy eight. No, <laughs> I struck Just out. Just so you guys know, if you don't know what Raya is, Raya is like the. It's like the Soho House of Dating. That's exactly yeah. right. It's Horrendous. like Tinder for um, pompous assholes <laughs> and photographers. I got a Soho House. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like no, it's like a, it's a elite dating app where you have to get accepted, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And you also have to be a photographer from New Zealand. Do you? <laughs> you have to wear a man bun. To be a creative director. And yeah, no, it's so true. It's um, but I feel like it's very curated. Yeah, I'm on Raya. Yeah, no, <laughs> three years, killing. We're it. all making fun Slaying of Raya, and we're all on it. So true. I did so badly on Raya, like really? so badly. Yeah, really a real bomb. Yes, yeah. I was. <laughs> <laughs> I bombed I, on Raya. I remember Raya. Uh, I was on it. Uh, you, the thing that's different about it is number one, you add like a song, yeah, with like a montage of your photos. What yeah. can I ask? What your uh-huh. song is? Uh, Tori Amos, uh, "Hello, Mr. Zebra." Mr. Zebra. Go- what a great pick! Yeah. I was going to say "Caught a Light Sneeze." That's what I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, that's a mistake. Little earthquakes, maybe even. Um, but no, mine was a blood orange song. I don't know why. 
Um, I just love Blood Orange at the time. Yeah, if somebody didn't know Blood Orange, that was like a red flag for me. I had a bunch of photos on, but I remember uh, you go through and you see these like random like cryptic ones. Like there was like the Damien Hirst skull was a picture and it ended up being John Cusack. Calling you out, John. Don't care. I remember seeing that. that He didn't match me. That was John Cusack. Um, Lots of like big celebrities were on there for a while, I feel like. Didn't Sharon Stone have to get hers put back on one of them because people thought she was a fraud? They they thought it wasn't her... Oh, it was no on one way. of the apps. They thought it was either Tinder or that one, but they thought like it wasn't really her. I was on there. That's right. I was. I don't know if that's hinge. a marketing stunt. Oh my! It was not. a hinge. I don't know, but I was on. I was on Raya, and I had like two people send me resumes, and it and it hurt my feelings. It was too demoralizing. Oh yeah. It's yeah. a lot of like people hustling. Yeah, I mean, being a writer, going from being a trans person who was really struggling um, at employment mm. in the arts to being a Hollywood producer and writer. Um, has really changed my dating life where um, suddenly everyone has a script and suddenly everyone's, oh, everyone's a got a spec your personal uh, yeah. trainer's got a spec your barista's <laughs> got a spec and it, it it do you find that that's um does that scare you because i find a lot of times people will try to get close to me or try to yeah, date yeah i have me. not had a i mean i've been in relationships that i haven't trusted anyone in 6 years yeah yeah, no. And it's it's tricky because people be like, oh, that person you dated is a star fucker. And I'm like, does that mean I'm a star? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, thank you so much. It's like, it's this weird thing. Yeah, where no, one, no one's ever accused a woman of fucking being a star fucker, ever. <laughs> I mean, this idea of like, oh, you're using me to get ahead. Thank you so much. It's complicated. You know, but um, Raya, uh, Raya is tricky because it's a lot of like models and photographer. Yeah. And I'm always like, did they have such a hard time meeting each other before this? Right. Right. You know? <laughs> so, did you go on any dates on there? N- no, I got stood up when I was out here. Uh, oh, all no. brutally. Oh, no. it was a good one too. Really? Yes, yeah, she was so beautiful. Who? We were t- trans. I-, I probably know her. No, <laughs> there's not that many trans women on there, and even on Tinder, it's annoying because you can put the option, but it should just be a third option. You should be able to seek somebody, but it was very hard to search. Um, but anyway, no, this she was uh, she was not trans. But I was going to a party at Maria Menounos's house because my my co-host Name knew her. Drop. Very, no, my co-host knew her very well. But she was an actress, so I'm like, oh, this will be great. But I wasn't going to tell her where I was going because I'm like, I know she'll go mm. just to go to Maria's place, and so I didn't tell her, oh, uh, no. and she stood me up. And I, she's like, where are you going? I'll meet you there. And she didn't, uh, I never I never told her whose house it was and she just never showed up. So I got completely stood up. I feel like you dodged a major bullet. No, I know, but what kind of an asshole goes to a party at Maria Menounos' house and has an actress stand him up? Like, you, you just can't do worse than that. <laughs> in LA. You fucking can't do worse. What's your first date move? What's a good first date? I go out to eat. I mean, I like to, to talk to somebody. And again, that's not me thinking that. First I, date, we're getting dinner on a first always, date. Always. Always. Dinner. Full always. dinner. Dude, I'm too weird sexually. Like, in, in the sense, I'm not comfortable sexually enough to take somebody home and try to fuck them. I'm not saying I've never done it, but again, maybe as you get older, you're just like, ugh, what am I, you know. How many dates till you try to sleep with someone else? It depends on the on that person. There's, yeah. nev- there's no number. There's no, and again, I'm not against it on the first date, but yeah. it's, it's uh, usually just go out to eat. You get to know somebody and just see if you like them or uh, go out for coffee. I'd rather just sit down and, and talk to somebody and see if I have any connection with them. Because, again, when you've done all the things physically you want to try in your life, it's like yeah. after a while now you just want to find people you like. Yeah. You feel like you've checked every box. You've tried everything. Yeah, you've tried this. You've tried that. And if it's somebody I have a connection with, and I don't have to be in love, but, I mean, it is somebody I would like to at least like. Mm-hmm. But so many of my dates in the last few years have literally just been one or two times to dinner, and then maybe it doesn't go anywhere and we don't see each other. Yeah, like there's no, like, oh, let's just, like, give each other six months of each other's life for no reason. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, it's not you, worth you, it. You, like, kind of know when to call it. 
Yeah, I'm comfortable calling. What's it. the longest relationship you've been in? Three years, maybe. Ah, three years. Uh, but that's been a long time. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. Yeah, my ex is my best friend. I mean, she lives out here, so I see her whenever I'm out here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not uh, very good at relationships. I'm just not. Well, you haven't met the right person yet. Yeah, probably. And it's also running around and it's uh, doing schedules. gigs. Yeah. Yeah. And also this 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 fear of aging. Like I'm afraid of being old. I'm 51, and I'm afraid that if I settle down with somebody. Mm. Okay, now that other door is closed behind me, and this is the rest of your life. Mm. It fucking scares me. Mm. Was that person trans? The three-year relationship? No, she was not. Okay, because I consider if three years in trans relationships, that's like thirty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's just like things. There's a lot that we bring to the table. I feel like when uh, you're a trans person and a trans amorous person meet, um, not with every person, mm -hmm. but things. There's. Uh, it's like finally, like someone who fucking gets me and mm. finally I'm finally feeling seen. And so, um, or maybe it's just because I'm codependent, um, but I've just moved really fast in relationships. Yeah. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Fast. I, I, I do sometimes too, because I just want that, I want it to be here. Like I used to have yeah. done that, like I'm in love, but it's a dopamine drip, it's not real. Yeah. It's just me looking for the next drug. And yeah. you wake up and you're like, It's like, let me fall fuck? in love with you as fast as I can before I get to know you, because then I'd have to leave. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's Because I actually kind of know I, don't yeah, like I you. need to fall in love with you because I don't like you. Yeah. If we just the faster we move, the the faster we'll just sort of entrench before yeah. I know anything about your character. You know that you're incompatible right away. I want to fall in love with you before I have a chance to Google you. Right. <laughs> Essentially. You know have I mean? you never Googled someone before a date? No, I definitely have. I always do. Okay. Always, always do. Okay. But my, I always have a rush to fall in love with someone before I know their character. Right, for sure. So, like, well, let's just make sure we're chemically dependent before we actually know yeah. anything about so each other. So that it can make the detangling you even know? more difficult. What are, um, we talk a lot about this show uh, about red flags. What are some red flags? Red flags? Yeah, red flags. <laughs> you have basically given me a list of my red flags <laughs> in the past. She's handed me a list of men I can't date. I and you're so spot on, actually. <laughs> Um, I still have that list. Really? You actually helped me make that list. That's it. We did a red we, flag list. We, we did a red flag list once because I was just failing. I'm obsessed with red flags because for me, I am such an addict. Like when I get caught up with the oxytocin and the dopamine, I just mm -hmm. can't see. I just Same. totally go blind. And I have to go, is he married? Yes. Okay. I have to turn around. Like I have yes. to have a list there because I get so... Um, sort of delusional and yeah. I just go blind I and like red flags because they tell me which direction to head in <laughs> I fucking plow right through a red flag I plow through a red flag absolutely oh I love them they're so juicy because you know it's just going to be so much drama yeah. and so much distraction so from the misery of life. Makes me feel alive. Yes. Fuck I mean that's the thing is that I, I now I'm not the person that's like I hate drama I love it I know I love it Put it in my fucking veins. I live for mm. it. Like I just, I I love drama. I love the adrenaline. Now that I know that adrenaline turns into dopamine, I yeah. know that adrenaline is my primary drug. And as writers, you know that you're gonna make money from it mm, too. Oh my god! I'm gonna put that down, and people are gonna cry yes. when they watch that, and I'm gonna get an award. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And but I think just knowing that about yourself, knowing that adrenaline is where I thrive, drama is what I is sort of like my default what I'm magnetically attracted to. Yeah. It's just like a daily trying to kind of like manage that. Yeah. You know, but for me, red charm is a red flag. I know. Oh, yeah. I now know charm is a red flag because it's a defense mechanism that you developed as a kid, mm -hmm. you know? So the more charming someone is, the more I got to just like get away from mm -hmm. them. Um, that's a big one for me. Moving fast is a big one for me. Mm -hmm. uh, not communicating every day 
is a red flag for me. Really? Yeah. I kind of like not communicating every day. But some kind of communication. Anything. Really? Mm-hmm. I like if a couple of days go by. Really? Yeah. You do? At first. Because then huh. it's like, oh, they have a life. And they're busy with their career. So you think that if someone communicates with you every day, that's kind of addicty behavior. Yeah. Not every day, but like if, if it's throughout the day, several right. times a day. Until right. you've established. Unless you a, have a thing of like, hey. Exactly. Let's connect every day and we're t- until you're together. Yeah, exactly. What's your perfect first date? My perfect first date, um, it, well, obviously somewhere in public. In public, yes. So I'm going to no. lower the bar here for everyone. <laughs> no parking lots, on their no perfect parking. date. In public yeah. um, is the only thing I require. <laughs> <laughs> the bar is a low. Um, That's a pretty easy first date. <laughs> There has to be coffee within 500 feet. Do you see me dreaming and getting excited about my dream date? Um, no, I like I like a meal as well. I yeah. have to have dinner because if it's just a coffee, then I know they're broke yeah. and mm. not willing to invest. Where do we land on sending naked pictures? Where are we on this? Are we doing it? Are we not doing it? Maybe. Sure, it depends on the person. <laughs> I like getting them if the person wants one. Most most women don't want to see your dick. It's just not the way it works. Um, men are much more. But if somebody wants one, I would. But I. I I would like to get one, sure. I mean, mm-hmm. But it depends are we on the, our head out. What are we doing? My face is never in them. No. By her request. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how good I look. Yeah. Like if this, you know, if if this ever gets out, then yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Then, oh, yeah. I got it. You so you just I mean. go. I'm gonna. If this goes out, I will. I would stand by this. Yeah, totally. Essentially, I've never taken a picture of my crotch ever. Never. In my life. Never. And. Never ever will. That's probably a healthy way to be too. So to be not too. genital obsessed. That's like that's a healthy way to be. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think it's um I had a like a nude get out, like get leaked, and I was so annoyed because it wasn't one that I took. It wasn't one that I was like, I have so many good ones in here. Like the mm-hmm. one bad one is the one that got leaked out, one that like I accidentally took. But I think we kind of have to act as if all of our photos are yeah. gonna be public very Absolutely. soon. Because I feel like that is kind of the case. For sure. Right. Um, Jim, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with you. You're touring and you just have another special. Yeah, it's called The Degenerate Season 2. I'm the first episode on Netflix. Uh, I'm happy. I, I said no to it at first, like, and, yeah. I used to, and I was so happy I did it. Like, my ego almost fucked me up, and I'm so happy Why? I did it. Why? Because it was a lot of comics on one show? It was, yeah, I'm like, we're all on the same night, and they're like, no, yeah, but it's, you have your own episodes. It's not, you're not doing the, <laughs> I thought it was like evening at the improv. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And um, it's probably my favorite 20 minutes that I've shot. And I'm not just saying that because it's recent, like, I'm fucking really happy with it. Yeah. When does it come out? It's on now. It just okay. came out, and uh, I guess so that and The Irishman. I had a small part in that. Those are the he two things. He played Don I, Rickles in The Irishman. It fucking like lit me up when I saw that. The fact that it made it in is a miracle. Like I thought, like there's no way he cut down from four to three and a half. There's no way I'm staying in, but I want to staying in. And did you? I mean, Don Rickles obviously is such a fucking, I mean, legend. Yeah. Or did that trip you up to have to play Don Rickles? Yeah, I've been compared to him my whole career because yeah. I guess the face shape or there's something about the case. I don't know what it's it just is. The eyebrows, a tiny bit. Yeah, there's something because people have always said it. So they offered it to me. I didn't have to wow. audition. Uh, the Scorsese like watched stuff I did and he goes, yeah, this guy can do it. So I wound up, they, he wanted to meet with me. So I went and met with him in his office in Brooklyn. And um, 
I sat down and talked for 10 minutes, no audition, no read. Wow. And he's like, all right, great. Let me see the makeup and how they're doing it. And we did it. And I had the dialogue and I wound up uh, making it in. It was it was really surreal. Like, how did you navigate? Like, I'm not going to do an impression, but I'm also need to do Don Rickles. I went to um, a Bob Krakauer as an acting coach. And I just for a couple of words uh, for uh, a, a couple of uh, like uh, regional dialect things. But I didn't want to do a full on impression. Yeah. Um, I've watched Rickles enough. Um, so I just kind of got a lot of stuff from Hello Dummy and I had the okay. script and I wound up doing just because they asked me Scorsese's weird he said alright just go up there and start doing and like I had to just go up and just do Don Rickles shit <laughs> like uh, with Pacino and De Niro <laughs> uh, not the, uh, De Niro and Pesci to the yeah. audience and they knew him so it was really weird oh god I'd have a heart attack to do it in I front of like a nightmare because three guys who knew him so well so that was kind of the weird part about it but uh, it went really well and uh, the fact that they fucking left it in I mean I really thought it was going to get cut until the night before that's so fucking cool yeah I'm very happy and then in your, this last degenerate set you talked about depression yeah yeah but every comedian's depressed too you know i've talked about it a lot uh i talk about the depression ted bundy um but yeah i mean we all go through that suicidal Was shit. Ted bundy depressed um no he should have been he's actually <laughs> <laughs> No, I almost admire his ability to overlook he seems the obvious. Great, yeah. he seems like his tapes. He was like happier than any of us have yeah. ever been in his tapes yeah. in fucking prison. Yeah, like what was that guy on? Well, I'm gonna take what he's taking. Two hundred milligrams. He had no concept of compunction at all. And you have, and you talked about it before, but you you sort of talked about this last one in a way that just made me laugh so fucking hard. You oh, know, because it is a tricky thing because you never want the audience to feel sorry for you, no. and you never want to feel like you're like because you know t there is this moment where everyone's talking about mental health, which is a great thing, mental wealth but it's also just sort of like oh god i've heard a lot of depression jokes at this point it's almost like the new airplane humor yeah and you fucking it was so funny and just so incisive and um you know well thank you because it's weird it's like i'm I, I just if you're standing up there and you're telling the audience like folks i have pain fucking boo <laughs> shut up we all do idiots uh, it's just got to come from the same place yeah. as everything else. Like, there's been times where I've been standing, uh, and I, I really, I'm going to jump in front of a train, and I'm not going to do it. But the re there's a line I talk about where somebody getting uh, it dragging me. Because I interviewed a woman who had her who jumped in front of a train, and she got her leg and I think her arm cut off. So it's like you think of that shit when you want to do it. So yeah. if you come up and you just talk about it honestly, I'm not looking for an emotional impact from anybody in the audience. Oh. I'm not looking to change anybody's. You know, it's like, yeah, this is what I've thought of. Sure, I've thought of blowing my brains out, but I'm scared because I'm afraid I won't. It won't work, and people just that was, relate so to that it. Made, that just made me laugh so hard because that is it. It's like I'm afraid I'll survive. Yeah, trying to kill myself. Yeah, and that <laughs> is the fear because you're never in better shape. So people, I love uh, that even within thinking about killing yourself, like my self-esteem is so low. I know I'm gonna blow it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even good at this. Yeah, I can't even kill myself. That's how stupid I am. Yeah, that's the fear is that yeah. I would be in worse shape or I'll be more damaged. Right. So yeah, it, it's just talking about it the same way as you talk about everything else. I don't like. Because people really responded to the suicide stuff, but I, I don't like making it like it's this It's this thing that needs to be talked about because again no. my pain is no different than anybody else's It's no more fucking valid. It's no deeper. It's no more interesting Just another asshole who fucking hates himself on some level Welcome to the club and people kind of, I think relate to that and I do think and look and and because everyone's not everyone but a lot of people are, are Feeling like they can be more vulnerable and, and talk about their weaknesses and um, pain but like I Comedians like it is our job to be funny. Yes, this is mm -hmm. what we do. We write jokes like if it ends up moving the needle great But it is my job ultimately at the end of the day to make you laugh. I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist and I think some I'm not a politician I'm really just trying to do what my skill set is That's exactly it and the job is not like whether no matter what you're talking about the last thing you want as a comic after you say something is 
Yeah. I don't oh, need just slow no, clap. No, I don't want your pity. I want a huge no, laugh. No, this isn't a TED talk. No, not at all. Like I just talked about hanging myself. Yeah. Let's have a laugh. <laughs> That's what you you want something yeah. you want a big pop of a laugh and as a comic if you're not going for a big laugh if you're going for an applause break yes you're uh, laughter it's an epidemic it's, it's embarrassing and you're virtue signaling and it's just kind of stop it yes I'm not trying to get your pity I'm not trying to get yeah. your sympathy I'm not I'm not trying to get your vote like I I'm I think it's harder than ever to kind of stay in your lane because there is this sort of thing every now and then where you're like wait a second should I like have a message and it's like that's not what I'm qualified to do people can sense if you're being honest your message is whatever you're telling the truth about people can sense that yeah yeah and like let me let the experts do the talking you know and then I'm gonna try to make you guys laugh yeah I just have to ask because a lot of people ask me about um, is it getting harder to do comedy do you feel like there's stuff that's off limits um, I think you are a comedian who can pretty much talk about fucking anything and make it funny you have to you just have to you know it's like you know 30 years in you just learn where to structure and where to just has to be a good joke yeah or, or the attempt at the joke has to be obvious because uh, Patrice had a great point about good and bad jokes are born from the same place yeah like they're birthed from the same place mm -hmm. so it's like a good joke a bad joke is subjective um, you just gotta be trying to be funny. Yeah. You know, that's all. I mean, we all miss. You know, I mean, yes, come on. Yes, we all miss. We all swing and miss fucking horribly. Yeah. Um, I love, I love this thing Jim does on his Instagram where you'll do, uh, uh, I was watching it last night, the Jeffrey Epstein joke bombing. I mean, it wasn't bombing, but I love that you kind of put up jokes. When they bomb. It's the beauty of it. I love jokes when they bomb. It's so, it's so uncomfortable, but it's what we do. Yes. Right? Uh -huh. But I love the idea that you're, I love posting it because I think a lot of people assume that a comedian at your level just never bombs. Yeah. You know? And there are times when you'll do a great joke and you'll just be like, this isn't my fault. This is your fault. It's just this joke is going to kill in like two weeks. I'm obsessed with just the timing of when a joke will kill and kind of when it won't. Like I've been doing, um, I was doing this joke about like the NFL and it was like killing. And then it just started bombing out of nowhere because I think someone got hurt. And then it started killing again. You know, it's just such a delicate yeah. balance now with how much news is out there and when people get sensitive. Yeah, sometimes it's just a way. I, it's hard to do. Like when you're going to talk about something horrible and you know it's going to be horrible, you try to paint them into a corner like you try to yeah. you try to cut their exits off yeah mm -hmm. by but you, you start chopping at certain things because you know where you're going and then all of a sudden they've sealed themselves in so they're kind of there with you and they're stuck mm -hmm. so they have to go with you right. but if you leave that fucking back door open a mm -hmm. lot of times the audience will yeah kind of uh, they'll, they'll let themselves back out of it yeah so sometimes it's just how you set it up you got to paint them into a corner in a way before you really hit them with whatever you want to get to but I love watching those videos because it really is a master class in stand-up uh, because the greats don't panic and they don't rush. So watching mm. watching you, uh, you said something about the Lolita Express, right? And it got a little quiet and it's almost like you slow down when, yeah. instead of speed up when a lot of people's instinct is to speed up and to panic and to switch to another topic and you just sit in that discomfort and it's just, it's such a, it's so fun to watch. Yeah, because it's weird. It's almost like you know that it's not going where you want it to go, but no. they don't necessarily know that. So you're just trying to go, this is exactly how I meant this. Yes. Right. Every comedian wants 40 seconds of silence. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you acknowledge it too, though. It's fun to acknowledge it. Yeah. Because they sense it. A lot of times they see you're bombing. So say, this is fucking bombing. You have to. They kind of like the you idea. It's like a, it's right. a human nature exercise, really. It's like some alpha shit. It's like, it really is. It becomes about courage, you know, it just becomes about like how long can I just sit in this uncomfortable space and then it becomes like performance art for me yeah. well, I think the audience wants to trust the person that's on the stage that they're in a safe space mm -hmm. And if they see that person panicking mm -hmm. then they know that they're no longer safe to 100% laugh. or they're just in charge 
Yeah, where they're exactly. in charge, they now respect you're in charge. it. Yeah, That's if you right. don't need them, they come around to you. If they can sense that you're particularly needy, mm-hmm. they go away. It's like anything mm-hmm. else. It's you know, it's just you're attracted. They tend to be attracted by the fact that you're confident enough what you're saying mm-hmm. to not need them, even yes. though we do need them. And that it is this really fine line of I don't give a fuck about your approval, but I am here for your approval. Yeah. You know, it's just like a wild thing how you have to be able to turn that on and off. And even your body, I'm just obsessed with, you know, comedians, even body language. When you're quiet, you're not leaning forward. You're standing straight up because two inches forward Mm -hmm. is needy. Yeah. I need your approval. I need something from you. And then they kind of lean out a little bit and then you lose them. You know, I think it's just, it's just taken me so long to kind of understand just what's going on when um, you're not even talking as a comedian. I'll be at the cellar. Sorry. I'll be at the cellar sometimes. And if the bit's not going well and there's an old stage and you can hear the creaking and I'll be standing on the stand and I can hear the creaking and I'm like, Oh my God, they must be able to hear that. It's a small room. So they must be able to hear that in the back of the room. Like, wow, that's fucking quiet. I just love it so much because to me, I love watching how comedy changes and what what bravery is and how it changes. And to me, like that's just the most gangster shit for you to be on stage, just like sitting there letting something kind of bomb and then regroup. Well, you know, I've learned like the, Colin. Colin Quinn is. I think Colin right. is the best comic working because right. Colin will do. He's got a new fucking hour. It's like it really it's makes you crazy. want to fucking throw yourself in front of a bus. Yes. But Colin never does the audience's emotional work for them. This is why he's so great. Because he'll do his bit, and if it bombs, he doesn't sit there and lash out at them. Mm-hmm. He'll acknowledge it, but he doesn't blame them, uh, even though he might internally. And when he's doing a bit that you know he feels something about, he's not acting angry. Mm. Like he doesn't do their work for That's them. That's right. It's really, really that he's. He, there's no one more collected on stage than Colin, because no matter what's happening. Uh, he, he just, he remains the same. Like, he doesn't fucking panic. Never panics. No. Never, he never, never is lazy. He never takes the easy way to get to it. I, I think Colin is the best guy on stage There's right also now. no fat. None. No fat. The way that he writes, there is just not one word. It's like almost Shakespearean that every right. word matters. Yeah. You know, there's no sloppiness. And I think there's this, there is comedy is changing a little bit. It's becoming more conversational, which is cool in some ways. But there's other ways where you're like, I don't, you don't need that word. You don't need that word. Like, he's surgical yeah. in the way that he does it. And I just, I love watching great writers. Yeah. His last one, I think he made a really interesting case about how America should basically break into two countries. Oh, Red State, Blue State, yeah. Yeah, it was so fucking good. Wasn't it on CNN? Yes. That's when you know you're a great comedian, when they air your specials on, on CNN. CNN. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. And Netflix, I think, too. Went back on Netflix. Uh, but he's got a new hour now. I just saw it. And it's like, I, understa- I understand why people on Instagram don't Already. like looking at Instagram, because you're seeing your friends do all this amazing okay. shit, and you're like, oh my uh, God, I'm a chimpanzee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fucking chimpanzee in this business. What am I doing? Like, you know, you watch guys like that, and you're like, he just, he works it out every week. He's working on his hour, working on his hour. He's a fucking, he's a machine. And then, um, uh, what is your relationship to social media, Jay? Um, it's where I get all my validation. Yeah. <laughs> that's what my relationship is. Um, I That's, yeah, period. Yeah, but has it been like just such an incredible tool to be able to reach people that you normally... Absolutely. Well, able to reach? I've learned that if I have something to say, I'm not going to put it on social media. Mm. I'm going to put it in my work. Ooh. Because I'm not going to give that shit out for free. Ooh. Why am I going to give that out for free? Ooh, smart. Uh, so my social media is kind of bland and just pictures of me um, looking looking amazing. <laughs> Correct. And if you want to know what I have to say, go to my work. I really, Ooh. I think that's why I, I didn't end up going into comedy because I, I am too scared to have that 
confrontation with mm-hmm. the audience. Yeah. I can do it in music. Music is so planned out and you control the sound and you control the space with music. It's not a dialogue. It's a monologue. Exactly. And I need to have revisions of what I'm going to say, mm. especially uh, in in these times. I feel like it's it's a lot safer for me to revise and edit in a small room and then put that out into the world. Mm. And if I'm going to put something on Twitter, um, then it's just I'm not going to have control of the space. Yes. And I need to have control of that space. So I actually don't enjoy social media for um, getting my voice out. I just like it for validation. Do you feel like because you've become so famous and, you know, I'm as, not famous. As in, well, I just mean, I mean, certainly an authority. Am I allowed to say I that? have a voice? Yes, you have I a have voice a voice and a microphone. Sure. And, sure. you know, does that come with like, I, I, I like I don't like being held up as like a role model or someone to look because like I'm like I'm still flawed and I'm still going to make mistakes. Like, do you feel pressure to be perfect all the time? Oh, for Say sure. the right thing from your community. Well, transparent. I was the first trans person ever to be hired in a writer's room. And I was the only trans person in a writer's room at that time. And so there was a spotlight on every mm-hmm. word that I said. So mm-hmm. uh, thank God I'm very close to my community and I make sure I bounce uh, pitches off of people outside of writers' rooms as well uh, to say, you know, is this what we need to talk about right now? Is this where we're going with the movement? Is this how we need to educate people? So, yeah, there's an incredible amount of pressure. Less now. Mm. I feel like I'm terrible at this. No, no, I'm really Please. good. I'm, like, working on getting better at it. But I guess, like, I mean, you've been doing this for so long. No, but there's times... You can't times, overthink it. Yeah, you can't overthink it. You just talk and, you know, I mean, if there's three people. If, imagine if the three of us just sat here looking at each other. I mean... <laughs> I mean, we all talk, so I mean, we'll figure it out. Just but like was, texting each well, other. Well, I just do this thing where I'm just like, "That's gonna get me in trouble." Shit, I shouldn't have said that. That could yeah. be taken out of context. No, I, I've had that thought five times in the T-word conversation. Oh yeah, really? Like, how am I gonna get in trouble talking about this? But word? here's the good news about, and this is why podcasting. It took me so long to do this. Is that you don't you get to go, clarify your comments. You get to go like, well, or this, and you get to sort of have like, I would never have this conversation in a short form way. Sure. You know. Yeah. And there's no getting in trouble. I mean, we're discussing something. Yeah. Um. And if, if people don't like it and they want, because the idea of the trouble is the anger around these things a lot of times is not real. It's just, again, people don't acknowledge how much they love the pile on. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just like, it's making me realize like when people come at me on social media with any kind of like anger and stuff and I now I'm just able to go like, oh, you're in pain, you're sad. Mm-hmm. You're just sad. That's okay. You're sad and this is how we're wired. And you're I- a lot nicer than me. I always go look at you. Aren't you shitty? <laughs> Coming at me like that, you're shitty. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, the Opie and Anthony people though, I just feel like that's those, talking shit is kind of how... They show love. I mean, in a lot of ways, it is. Yeah, there's a, a kind of a brutality in the language mm-hmm. and in the way you communicate and stuff. But then there's there's another crop of people who are coming after you, trying to nail you. It's because the drug is get you. Yeah, it just it's feels an good. Addiction. It yeah, is. I wish people would just acknowledge how good that feels, but they don't want to acknowledge it. It's such a great point. They just self righteous indignation uh, feels so good. Mm, sure. Uh, oh, superiority. Oh, give it to me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's such a great point, Jim, and I don't think enough people point that out, how good it feels to watch someone get canceled. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also to be a part of it, because everybody feels emasculated, nothing, we have no power, we can't control everything, everything's beyond our control, but when you pile on somebody and they get fired, holy fuck, I helped move the needle. I did something. I'm a part of something that actually has a tangible result. And I think that there's an ephemeral kind of, well, I'm safe. Yeah. 
right for now for now sure. right it's the same that thing. person's on fire I i'm mean, not i'm fine <laughs> you know there's this like a little bit of invincibility around okay they're dealing with that person i must be safe at least yeah. for now you know but the beauty is it's a circle people are firing right. each other in a circle they think that they're lined up and they're safe but you're not you're all standing in a no, circle you're just next. shooting you're next in you're like, next it's like the girlfriend that always talks shit about all the girl your girlfriends and you're like oh mm -hmm. when she leaves here she just goes and does the same thing about me yeah mm -hmm. you know God, I feel like, I don't know, what What do you think uh, uh, should have happened with Shane Gillis? Do you think he should have kept the job? Um, yeah, I mean, businesses have reasons for getting rid of people. Mm -hmm. But I think that Shane, when I watched the, uh, yeah, he said some harsh shit, but when I saw him doing the thing where he was like, obviously in a character, doing the this Asian joke, and I don't remember the joke, but mm -hmm. he was doing it kind of like a, mm -hmm. it, was, it was obvious to me it was a character. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think he should have been fired. Mm. No, I don't think people can object to what. But look at the look what we tolerate in show business. Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, the amount of fucking people that have drug arrests, the amount of people who have done yeah. domestic Roman fucking Polanski. By the way, Mel Gibson has fourteen movies in production. <laughs> like, guys, is, is, I mean, it's crazy. Roman Polanski is being considered for an Oscar in France. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I mean, come on, who are we kidding? Now yeah. we're selective. Like all of a sudden, Shane said some dumb shit. Yeah. Yeah, he said some. Okay, fine. That was tasteless. That was said in poor taste. Yeah. Absolutely should not have been fired. I'm sick and tired of of people being canceled for dumb little things they say, or even major things they say. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's zero forgiveness in the culture, and there's zero context in the culture. Yeah. We have no forgiveness. Yeah. We also we think Twitter is so much bigger than it is. Twenty two percent of people on Twitter. Of that, 2% generate 80% of the comments. Wow. And we're like, everyone's saying. So 2% of 22%? Yes. Wow. Generate 80% of the comments. What number would that be? What's 2%? I'm dyslexic. I don't even know. <laughs> the fact that I got through that is a fucking miracle. <laughs> yeah. um, what else? The Irishman, the Degenerates. Yeah, go touring. Uh, yeah, jimnorton.com. I got a whole bunch of uh, cities on sale. If you want to come see me, also, come you see know, me. Chip Chipperson is my favorite it's thing too, ever. It's too humiliating. It's, I don't it's want you to do it. I don't I want can't. you to do it. No, I, no, would... I mean, the idea of thinking about it, too. I forgot he existed until you You don't do it. it anymore? I do it once a week for a podcast, but it's like literally blacking out, and I forget it exists. This it's... is my favorite fucking thing ever. Jim does this... I'm sorry. Okay, do you not want me to bring it no, up? It's, it's, Am it's, I shaming just, you? No, it's okay. I should be shamed for no, it. No, it's my favorite shit ever. It's this character he does named Chip. It's making me laugh just thinking about it. It's humiliating. How did that... Where did that come about? I would do it in my private life with girlfriends, and I would do it to embarrass them when we were at dinner. <laughs> uh, telling jokes that were bomb. And my and, and it, it made them so angry. <laughs> I did it one time and I was dating a girl and she actually dug her fingernails into my face. And I went, oh wow, that's a visceral. <laughs> There's something there. And on the radio, people hated it. <laughs> Excuse me. So Your the body is boycotting you. It really is, yeah. So the fact that uh, it got a reaction and it was very freeing and fun. So I have a podcast I do every... Sunday it comes out and uh, it's a very acquired taste. I just love your videos. What is uh, uh, what is the one with chicken? Where's my chicken? I don't know. You were like so you were like ordering something and you're like I'm looking for my chicken. Oh, that was oh yeah. my god, that was Instagram video from a year ago. I have like a couple friends we do it all the time. We're like, where's my chicken? It's like a inside joke. With I was I was very skinny then too. I'm I'm, I'm uh, I put my suit pants on. They don't fit. I'm I forgot my I'm wearing sweatpants. I forgot my pants. I have a I'm doing some award show tomorrow and I have a fucking pair of I've never get asked to do award shows. That's why I'm doing it. And I have a <laughs> pair of pants that won't fit. Like I can't stop fucking eating. What is this award show you're doing? It's just some art director. I'm, I'm not. Just counting it, but it's not televised. Yeah, I'm no, I know, but do you feel like you want, like, when Hollywood calls, you're like, I gotta do it. Every time I get, like, can you present it as a word show, I'm like, I gotta. 
Yeah, Hollywood. I figured I wanted to do it, and I wanted yeah. to come out for a couple of other things too. So it actually just worked out. But yeah, it's not a televised thing. But I just I put my suit pants on last night for something else, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I am a fucking disgusting <laughs> eating slob. I can't stop. <laughs> do you have body dysmorphia? No, I have good eyesight. <laughs> I know what I look like. like shit. <laughs> I like it. I like that impossible standards are moving towards men. Oh, yeah. I don't think a man, a man, does a man ever answer yes to that question? Do you have, Do you have body, body dysmorphia? dysmorphia? I don't think so. No, because I think it's accurate. I know when I look good. Like in that video, you made me think, all I'm thinking of is I was sitting on my counter, my legs were crossed, I was goofing around, and I was very skinny. Too skinny almost. Like I look back at some of those photos of myself and I Were you I look, dieting? Yeah, but a lot of it was real depression. And I looked unhealthy. Mm. Like it was a weight loss that didn't look like it was a healthy. It, it what was were just, you doing? Just not eating. I was on uh, eating very minimally. Um, so it just didn't it didn't look or feel healthy. Um, a few pounds heavier than that would have been great. Uh. But now I'm at a point now where I can't wear my suit pants. But do you take care of yourself? Yeah, I mean to a certain. I mean, I eat very. I eat pretty healthy, but you know, I just ate too much recently. Yeah, That's it. Don't eat so much. Very simple. Yeah, very simple. Say no. What a treat. I know I have to get you out of here at some point. I just want to keep talking forever. What's the longest mm. podcast you've ever done, Jim? <laughs> I'm going to guess it was, I've done uh, Joe's show a bunch, so I'm going to guess it might have been a Rogan for three hours, yeah, something like that, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah, Joe's so comfortable, I mean, yeah. uh, you can just long form. You're sitting there like, I have to pee so fucking bad. I, 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 I always piss at least once every episode I do it. You go I'm out like, and pee? Oh, in a second. See, I can't. I, I peed just now. I, <laughs> I need a diaper sitting here. Uh, my headphones are doing something weird. Instagram. Our Lady J, just the letter J. Mm-hmm. And um, you can send me a message if you like as well, if you're curious about the whole transamory. Do you you check your DMs? I go through maybe once a week into the the junk. Is it the junk email? No, it's the requests. The requests. Oh, yes, Yes. because you have like an official account or something. Yeah, so I don't get everything. What's the best way? And I scroll through. And and then what's a good opener for you? Well, it's just someone's little picture this big looks cute enough. (laughs) I might open it. But what is like a, a, yeah, I'm going to respond to this person. Like, what's a good opening message? Um, hey, Ma is not a good one. What's I get up, that a Ma? lot. Hey, Ma. What's that's Ma? a New York thing, though, Is that too. a New York I thing? I think that's kind of a New York thing. I don't know. I've never Tony said Tony Rock was telling me that. Yeah, I was like, hey, Ma. I wouldn't say that's my mother. It's yeah. a terrible thing to say. <laughs> hey, Ma. <laughs> Ugh, you fucking James Cathy. That means you're hot. <laughs> Thanks, so. So, yeah. hey, Ma is no good. Hey, Ma, or like a career compliment, I don't like either. Because then you know they know you? Or they're trying to get something, because then oh. if I respond to that, then it's like, when are auditions, or when is this? And okay. then I send them the casting notice and do that whole thing, you uh-huh. know? But um, I don't know. I haven't. I guess I haven't really gotten a good message, because I've never met a boyfriend on Instagram before. Never? No, never. The last guy I was in a relationship with, we'd matched on Tinder, but had also followed each other on Instagram before that. Mm. So that, I don't know if that can overlap. Yeah, kind of a history. Yeah, but we, yeah. Had, but we had to know that we were attracted to each other on Tinder first before mm, okay. there was any flirtation on Instagram. You get some de- you're going to get some messages after this. I certainly hope that. so from your And eyes. then one thing I want to ask you before I let you go, because I know you have to, um, is what is this machine you're sleeping with? Um, what the fuck is this? The sleep apnea machine? Yeah. I don't use it now because I have to get sinus surgery, but um, I have a mouth guard. I need to get sinus surgery so I can use the apnea machine because I have apnea. Joe Coy is all over me. He's like, you're going to fucking die. I'm like, I know. He's got me. Pa- is that the mouth thing? Yeah. The CPAP. Everyone's on that now, right? It's yeah. Like a, it's like tubes coming out of you. It looks, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because there was some part of me that said, look, I'm not unfuckable enough. What can I really do to add to this disaster? How about a mask? That's what I need, a, a, a mask on my face. <laughs> No, dude, 
dude, it's fucking crazy. It's like tubes. It's like actually, th- I would be attracted to that. Um, <laughs> to the mask? Yes, absolutely. I've seen that shit on Twitter yeah, no, or, or on it. Tinder. Some of the profiles are that audio asphyxiation thing where yeah. people have like latex masks. Oh. On Cover your face, yeah. scare me a little bit. I'm. You can die there. doing that. There's uh, guys who are like into being domed, wear like a saran wrap over the face. That that's. Wasn't well, that what happened to David Carradine? Hanging himself, I think he's probably um, that might be autoerotic, uh, autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah, I think, or he might have been depressed. I don't know. I think he was was he dressed at the time too, like in thigh highs, or is that a rumor? I thought he was dressed, so it might have been like an autoerotic asphyxiation. I think it we didn't was. even get into this part of the conversation. We is could this, stay here for another is hour. This part of the conversation: trans attractedness and the subdom community. Yes, there's a lot of overlap, wouldn't you say? I don't know. Subdom as in like a lot of men who want to be A lot of men that I have met that are attracted to me, maybe because I'm six foot one uh-huh. and very powerful, they enjoy being dominated as well. And then is that something that it just kind of goes without saying? It comes up later? Or is that like a conversation? It usually comes up because they want to know about my genitals mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. when that happens. Okay. Because they want to know if it's possible. Uh-huh. And then, um, and then I realize if it comes up too early, that's like obviously like a red flag right. that I do pay attention yeah. to. Um, but I don't know that that's a. I think there's a lot to dissect there around trans attractiveness and um, and their relationship to porn as well. I oh, feel like a lot of guys discover trans bodies through porn. Mm. Oh, that's exactly how I did. Is that a hundred percent? I was fifteen. Selka, she was a porn star in the you know in this nineteen eighty three. And uh, I didn't know what what trans. Why I'd never heard of it. I didn't know that it existed. Mm-hmm. And I was watching porn with my friends, and she came on. Wow! And they were like, "Oh!" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, like, oh, it made sense. Ah. It made sense. Oh, that makes sense to me. I understand Interesting. that." Well, yeah. I think uh, uh, the thing that's dangerous about that for trans women is that, like, uh, imagine being a cis woman and the only body that your partner has seen that looks like yours is from porn. So you suddenly feel all this pressure to behave mm-hmm. like right. like uh, someone who's working in porn. Mm. And trans bodies are not the same as the bodies that you see in porn. Like mm. real life trans bodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, trans performers go off hormones and so things function a bit differently. Mm. But th- there is like a lot of, uh, within trans relationships, there are a, a lot of men bring baggage from porn into the relationship mm. that they project onto the women and i know this happens in cis relationships yeah. as well yeah but especially yeah, choking us choking us yeah. i mean once in a while yeah it's, but it's like it's, it's like a, it's like they think we want it we think they want it and no one re- it's just like and then we're acting it's a it's not even <laughs> real tra- it's just like if you're gonna do it do it if you're not yes. don't make me act. we all become performers in yeah sex. It, totally and, we're all like okay and where is the intimacy in i that? knew i knew that porn uh I, you know, had kind of taken over every guy's brain when um, I was with this guy and he put his hand in my mouth, like like three fingers in my mouth and but just like set it there. And I don't think he even knew what he was doing. Yeah. I think he, like, he had seen it in something, but he panicked and I didn't understand what was happening. I was like, almost started laughing because it was just like, I think he thought he was gagging or something, yeah. right. but I think he it was not something he really wanted, <laughs> but maybe he thought a woman wanted it. It was just this like half-assed... Sort just of, a thing. Yeah. It's a lazy domination. <laughs> Bad, you know what to do. Can you hold this yeah, for yeah. me for a second? It's like the Palmolive commercial. <laughs> you fucking hands are in your mouth. 
And then I kind of was like, eh, eh? like, is that what we're doing? Are we choking? Right. Like, it's this thing where it's like, it's just whack-a-mole at a certain point. You know, when you see a guy, you know, it's like rebuffering stream and he's like kind of doing as many things as yeah. he can that he's seen from porn and it all kind of conflates. If it's any consolation, men destroy ourselves with porn too. That's like, true. No, I mean, sure. our dicks, our body. Oh. Yeah horrendous compared to what's in porn. So it's like as much as there's expectations on the partner, yeah. men, we never feel like, we, we look at porn and we're like, oh God, what the fuck am I doing? Like, yeah. it, it, it also wrecks it on the other and end And you get too. kind of like desensitized after a while. You do, and that's the only bad part about it. Like, I've really kind of cut down watching it just because it's not, it doesn't feel like anything anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like nothing, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, it, you can't feel anything. It's like it's more and more and more and more. I need more and more and more. Yes, yes. And more I mean, I can always tell when I'm with someone, yeah. like how much porn they watch, based on so the the amount of intimacy that we're having. Right. And a lot of times, if they just like shut off and they go will to check autopilot. Out. And I'm not shaming porn at all. I think like porn has a beautiful place in society. Yeah. But there is a, a, a lot that shuts down in an, an intimate relationship when mm. that's how they're learning about trans bodies, mm. and suddenly they have a real trans body mm -hmm. in front of them. Yeah doesn't function like a performer and it's like oh they're so disappointed in this it's like this would be so awesome if you had no preconceived yeah like oh yeah you would be but also i was happen. watching there's this woman named gail dines who did a ted talk about what porn is doing to sort of younger kids which is like it used to be like when you wanted to see boobies you know, when you were 10 or 12, you would like go find your dad's Sears catalog or sure. whatever the fuck. I don't even know. Now, if a kid wants to just, a 10 year old boy wants to just see boobies, goes to the internet, Googles boobies and like choke porn comes up yeah, or right. fisting and like that's their introduction. They think that's what sex is, you know? Right. So it's, you can't see something innocent like boobs now, even if you tried, Right. you wow. know? So it's so extreme, the first thing that they're seeing. And she was saying that um, porn stars, the girls come now, and they call it porn ready. Like they used to have to teach porn stars what to do. Now they show up, they know exactly what sure. to do. It was just like this crazy thing where like there used to be like porn instructors who would tell girls what to do and how to arch your back and all the stuff. And they're like, oh, they don't even need to do that. Wow. No, I do that on my Instagram. Like yeah. <laughs> my Instagram lives, check it out. Um, that's fascinating. All right, so I know you have to get to Rogan. I have to pee so bad. Yep. Uh, what else am I missing? How many Emmys do you have? I don't have any Emmys. I've been nominated. I don't have an actual because Emmy. every time I see you, I have a fucking award. No, I have two Peabodies. Okay. Uh, what? Okay. But that's that's. I don't ha actually have many trophies. No actually, big trophies. No, just where do you keep your Peabodies? On my piano. Mm hmm. Just in case, they're really heavy. I knew you pre Peabody. I would like to just go on record. What's that? You knew me pre pre Peabody. <laughs> I can't even say it. And then um, you knew me pre surgery, which is how I know. Like when a, I so I recently redated someone I dated before my surgery like last month how'd that go really well actually because I was like this person was attracted to me before any of my surgeries so maybe they really see me for who I am and you I mean we're still friends but yeah um we're just not really that compatible but it was nice it's nice to see people before and after the surgeries because like the world does change and it gets really dark uh -huh. when you realize how people are only relying on the exterior um, to get to know someone. We can go to a really dark place if you like. I love a dark place. That's what we're, this is, this is my life. We're in a dark place. Yeah, if, if you want um, to know the darkness of humanity, be um, an ugly duckling. 
turn into a beautiful swan, and then you'll realize you can never trust anyone. What the fuck are you doing to your skin? Jesus Christ. What are you doing to your skin? I do a derma roller. I do oh, the, you got me into I that, talk about it all the, the time, the derma roller. It's like a little prickly thing because our products actually aren't even absorbing into our skin because of all the dead skin cells on top. Mm -hmm. I stopped doing laser because it makes your skin thinner. What laser were you doing? The, 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 Peel? The, what, it was like a, the, what's the derma flash or something like that. It's but like how a, do you have no redness anywhere? Huh? I don't do uh, lasers anymore because it makes your skin thinner. And you know that like kind of reptile shiny look that I had for a while? I love that look. That, they, it takes the hair off your face so then you just look a little too shiny. Oh, so you know like, what I mean? You don't have, like, so I do the derma roller and then I do all this other shit on top of it. I got a okay. colostrum, a placenta. I got all sorts of shit. Wow. Baby dicks all over my face every day. No, I just like- New eat, money! I eat New estrogen money. every day. You take estrogen every yeah. day? Yeah. Um, and then that kind of helps my skin out as well. Mm. Uh, there are three things that I'm having done though this summer that I Tell cannot me. wait for. Tell me. So my chin fell from my surgery. I have an amazing surgeon, but sometimes these things happen. Yeah. Where my chin fell, so they're going to straighten that out, and then they're going to straighten my nose. Uh huh. And then, like lift this a little bit. And lift office. the eyes. Yeah, because this is getting a little droopy. It's really not. See, I don't know if I agree with that. That's because I'm wearing makeup to disguise the droop. Mm-hmm. Um. I could. I, how did we get back to surgery? This I don't is know. not where you're supposed to go okay. with the transplant. I love you. Sorry. I love you. I, you just look so fucking gorgeous. It makes Thank me you. crazy. Um, okay. I love you, Lady J. Norton, you know where to find Thank them. Thank you for having so me. We got to do a round two. This was fun. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. You told me I was on with somebody. I had no idea who. It was really great. Yeah. This is so. It was like the only day you were here and we were scheduled. I was like, what a fucking. No, your thank you for squeezing like, me in. You squeezed me in. I appreciate you sharing your time with me, too. Thank you. I love you Thanks so much. Thank you very I much for having me. my favorite people. I always end these very awkwardly.